Hey, how's it going, everybody? The Chris's are back for a very special episode of Quester Days, where we're going to be talking about the sixth issue. We're going to get some background on the Wolf Riders, what came before. We're going to get information from the prehistoric Elf Quest, basically, because this is all going back to before we started with issue one here. This is a very important issue to me personally, but uh, I'll hand it over to the other Chris and see what he thinks about the the origin or the, i guess not the origin but the ending of bearclaw and joyleaf cutter's parents boy well i'm here chilling in my holt and you just harshed my mellow with talking about that that terrible death it's my true. goodness this uh this book in particular wow this is this was something that i think they should have brought out a little bit earlier in the um in the saga but i'm glad we did get it because boy sure. you really get to see the layers of cutter and what uh you know what shaped him into the leader that he's become because that boy's got some trauma he uh, sure does he boy, sure oh does and speaking of boys with trauma here um this issue was the first comic book i ever paid five dollars for oh wow yeah and man you know what that was a big deal back in the day you think about sure. going into a store you're used to paying 75 cents 95 cents in canada you know mm-hmm. you're or a dollar 25 heaven forbid that was the sure. that was the forbidden door being opened there when they crossed the dollar <laughs> line but uh let me tell you something man like paying five dollars for a book was was a shock and when you first go into these comic book stores and you got the guy behind the counter who's trying to you know snare ten dollars out of you for thundercats number one you're like hold Mm -hmm. on hold the phone here people what's happening ten dollars for one book yeah five dollars that's crazy it's like they see you coming and they they just start salivating but uh (laughs) when i started uh collecting the elf quest back issues um they were always i i had one comic shop that i went to that actually had like a decent amount of back issues it was the size of a of a utility closet but they had back issues so i would go there Almost every day, because I don't know what it was, but back in the day, it feels like uh, back issue inventories changed almost daily. Like you could go on a Monday and on a Tuesday and it'd be totally different stuff in there. It's just how yeah, the uh, industry was moving, I guess. But uh, it's true. It's like people unloaded their collections like really, really fast back then. Oh, yeah. Like, Nobody oh, yeah. caught on to the uh, I mean, there was a speculator market out there, especially exactly. back in the 80s. And, mm-hmm. you know, you saw a lot of these like New England comics and, and the different ads out there that were pushing back issues. And you could see that some of the numbers were starting to become, you know, creeping up that hill. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, these guys behind the counter could not wait to see if they can get an extra, <laughs> you know, three bucks on just a regular comic copy. You know what I mean? It's the first appearance of red coloring in the top panel. Yes. <laughs> Five dollars. <laughs> It's true. It's true. And uh, this is, you know, I you always ho- heard those uh, those jokes. Oh, actually, they weren't jokes. They were actually just anecdotes of uh, the the old comic shop owner who would have the scale next to their register. Right. And you'd come in with your collection or somebody would come in with their collection to sell and they'd be like, OK. And they put it on the on the scale and be like, OK, this is five pounds of comics. I'm paying this amount per pound. So this is what I'm going to offer you. And wow. uh during the the speculator boom, I'm guessing those rates went up a little bit, you know, instead of it being like, yeah, I'll give you a buck a pound. Maybe it was like five bucks a pound. I don't know. But uh, 75 <laughs> copies of Brigade number five. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and a five dollar bill. OK. And, I'll take yeah. it. <laughs> but uh, it, at my shop, um, all the ElfQuest books, which made the ElfQuest books so appealing was that they were all two dollars. All the back issues were wow. $2, and this was 1990, 1991-ish, and these were like five-year-old comics, so it's like, holy cow, this is a this is a deal. 
you know, when comics on the shelves were a buck and a quarter, it's like, wow, only 75 cents more. And I get this classic comic that's in a bag already. (laughs) The bag was always the trick. And the and the bag looked like it was like satin milk for like a day because it was like cloudy and white. <laughs> looked like absolute garbage, but uh, they never had anything under number um, number ten with the ElfQuest books. It was always like the Forbidden Grove sort of stuff. So like I think the first issue I got was well, and it's one we'll get to in like five or six episodes. It was like when Cutter and Skywise were at that house with a uh, pick nose. Odd bit and uh, was it old maggoty or whatever? Yeah. And they they all got drunk off the dreamberry juice. <laughs> that was the first issue that I bought that so as a package. Oh, it was great! I can't wait to get there. But that was two bucks, and it's like, oh, cool, two dollars. And then I'm looking through, and it's everything's two bucks. Like, ah, I could buy an issue a day with my lunch money. So you had so you had the experience. You had an opposite experience. You said <laughs> that like every it was issues after ten. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so I, I read so in my comic shop the, it was uh, only up till about I would say ten. Really? Yeah, because it, it's it's like people stopped at that point in my hometown. I don't know what it was. It was distribution or or whatever <laughs> it was, but it's like the early issues were 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 easier to find in my area. You know what I mean? I guess people collected things when it first started and then they just stopped. Yeah, that's that's the uh, we call that the moratory effect. <laughs> you could find five thousand copies of Strike Force Moratory number one, but uh, number thirty two you won't find too many of. That's true. Good but uh, we went. To, we, we dubbed it the moratory effect. There it is. We went to a flea market um, uh, one Friday night or something with the with the family, and uh, this is back when the flea markets were full of comic stores, right? right. And they would be like they wouldn't just be comic stores; it'd be like vacuum repair and comics you know or like <laughs> the slurpy machine and comics it's like yeah, everybody goes just, together let's, yeah let's, they, they, they all got back. onto the uh onto the, the you know the the scam that people are buying comics and uh that's where i found elf quest number six for five bucks and i had seen the cover in the back of the complete elf quest and it was like a smashing cover right it's an awesome cover and we'll get there in a bit but uh it was five bucks and i had the five dollars and i bought it and my mother thought i was like ridiculous oh for ever spending five dollars and i mean look at look at comic prices today (laughs) you're lucky to buy a single comic for five bucks but uh yeah my first my first journey to like (laughs) a a comic book store so there was a gentleman who lived probably 45 minutes from my hometown okay (laughs) And, you know, he's the guy I mentioned him on, on Moratory Mondays. His name was John. And, you know, everything was a nice book. It was a real nice price, Clark. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like it was really, really super shady in his dealings. But, you know, genuinely a nice guy, super comic book fan. And he had a ton of old Marvel comics. So we had arranged. Now, he didn't have a store. He had a, basically a shed, you know, an okay. insulated shed in his backyard where he housed his collection. And it was in a very, very small town. So nobody really bothered him. So it was hard to, you know, to really get in and see his collection. But anyway, my dad pulled a few strings, got a hold of this guy, and we went down to see his collection. Now, my parents loaded me up with $20 in my back pocket. Oh, boy. Now, $20 for for everybody back in this time, you know, that would get a stack of about 20 books on mm-hmm. the newsstand, okay? Easily 20 books. Oh, so yeah. anyway, we head down here. I get exactly, I think it was three to four comics. One was a beat-up Shazam number one, you know, that one where <laughs> DC brought him back and Superman introduced him on the cover. Yep. I have a Marvel 
super special Star Wars numbers number one there and uh, just just some junk, really. And sure. basically, I only came away with only like three or four comics. And my parents were like, what do you do with $20? And I'm like, well, this is it. And they were horrified, <laughs> just like you. They were like, what? Yeah. That's all you got out of $20? What? It's, it's almost true. like my dad wanted to go pound a shit out of this guy. I don't know what was going on. But... Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, when you when you are young and you pay that kind of money for a comic, it's like it becomes like everything to you. You know, the copy that I have, the, the copy that I actually read for this episode, it is beat to hell and back. This uh, <laughs> self-quest number six. I mean, it's only holding together by a prayer. You know, it's like. If I look at it the wrong way or if like if a butterfly flaps five miles away, it's going to fall apart. You know, it's just I, I beat this thing to dog just uh, reading it over and over and over again. And uh, I mean, as we get into here, when we we pour over not only the story, but the ads, the letters. And I mean, it's just it's an experience. Yeah. And it's uh, but I mean, but I mean, think about our collections back in the day. And I don't know <clears> if this is going to, you know, like be the same for comedy comic fan today like i mean you think about how we used to discover comics i mean those comics that you bought you can remember day date where you were like it was a oh, literal yeah. time stamp on your mind absolutely now you know you're i know you're getting comics through mail and you know the scattered you know trip to the discount store and st things mm -hmm. like that but are these going to have those same memories chris as those you know as as a kid growing up i mean i, I remember like every issue of spider-man i ever bought where i was speedball oh, yeah. when i first got it like mm -hmm. you know what i mean star comics i remember all this junk but they're yep. like timestamps in your mind where you're like okay it's, it's like a photo album you're going through okay okay i was mm -hmm. at so-and-so's place i'm going to this camping trip i'm doing this with my parents you know what i mean like they're oh, yeah. cataloged in your memory absolutely I don't know if that's the same experience for comic fans today i doubt it i doubt it. i think uh and i mean this might just sound like you know the old men on the uh, on the porch here but it's like I think the experience was different then. Um, I think it was more of a, like now, and I mean, I don't want to project, but I, I will anyway. Um, back then, we weren't really buying these things for anything but reading and for our own enjoyment. Uh, you know, without, with, with, with a few exceptions, of course, if we saw the hot book on there and it's like, ooh, you know, you want to get in on the ground floor. Uh, that, of course, was going to happen. But I think now... Like I, I see people sharing what they buy on, on Twitter and stuff or on any social media platform. And it's like part of me, the cynical part is like, how much of that would you have actually bought if there was no social media? Bingo, right on. Yeah, $5 like, pickup, $5 pickup. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not going to call anybody out, but, you know, $5 pickup <laughs> guy, he's out there. Exactly. It's like I don't I, – I, I feel like it, the experience has changed and it's a much more superficial one now where it was – like an intrinsic thing, like if if an issue of ElfQuest, an issue of Spider-Man, an issue of X-Men came out, we were genuinely excited to see what happened in it. We were never in any kind of doubt that they were going to, you know, perish. You know, Magneto was going to wipe them out. But we wanted to see how it played out. We were just – we were addicted. We were enwrapped, and we wanted to – continue the story we wanted to i mean even things like we wanted to get to the letters page we wanted all of that stuff here yes exactly and, and it's things like that where you can remember exactly where you were you can remember if it was cold out you can remember what was on the tv you can remember if your mom was cooking something on the stove it was like it really is a uh like a it, like a scrapbook it, it is the way 
it is a way to mark points in your life. And I think comics might be, I, I guess, any periodicals. But since we're talking about comics, it's comics. Anything that has a date on it, it's like you can you could basically track your entire life through these collections. Oh, you're exactly right. And, and, and I think uh, you're and I think you're right on that. But is that experience right now? I mean, do the kids buying comics today, are they recalling, yeah, you know what? I was on my cell phone in mom's basement and I ordered you know, <laughs> Avengers number four from Comixology. Yeah, what a great time. I clicked buy it now. <laughs> right? Come on. <laughs> and then away. and then two days later, I went on twist Twitter and posted a mail call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. You know what? That's one of those that that just annoys me. Look what I got mail call, guys. Like, oh, my God. And then <laughs> then they get a then they get it like, uh, you know, certified. They get it in the, the, the plastic uh, casing. Oh, you know what I mean? So they've got a copy of like Fantastic Four and number, you know, number two. With like yep. just a shard of one of the pages stuck inside this plaque. <laughs> Zero it's a one point four grade. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got it. Mail call. Five dollar pickup. Come on. It's true. I, I and like I mean another thing we talked about the I mean we're not even into the book yet but the cover of this book is iconic to me Absolutely. to a lot of us here where like uh, I think that's also part of the experience that's lost now where. We, like, I remember buying, and I mean, this is another tangent here, but, uh, like, the Marvel Universe trading cards. And, like, on the back, you'd flip it over, and it'd be like, okay, Nomad. Here's a picture of Nomad. And then next to it, it's like, this is a picture of Nomad's first cover appearance. And it's yes. like, oh, my God. You know, that's history. And, like, you remember things like that. Or like Galactus's first appearance, Fantastic Four number 48, you know. It's like you'd see these covers and they were just they, – they would imprint themselves on your brain. And it's like, oh, my God, that's important. You know, yeah. that's something that I want. I want to see it. I want to hold it. Now, I mean, I could I could show you the last 20 issues of Wolverine, the covers of that. You wouldn't know what order to put them in. You, you wouldn't right know what happened in them. You wouldn't nope. know anything about them. Uh, it's we're in we're in a totally different world where covers don't matter anymore. I, I'm I tried doing a little mental exercise to figure out like what was the last iconic Marvel Comics cover, and the one that I can come up with is uh, when Bendis took over New Avengers, and it was still a pinup cover. But it was New Avengers number one where you had, like, the silhouettes of the characters and, like, lightning crashing behind them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm like, okay, yeah. that's iconic. I mean, it's still generic, but you know what book it is. But what happens in it? You know what I mean? Do you, Can you tell from the cover? Do you know? No, oh, certainly you know, not. Does it, does it spark, oh, this is the story that this happened? No, it doesn't. No, it's That's an not. iconic cover. Yeah. But this just, one tells you everything you need to know. This one's loaded for bore. Let's talk about the cover. Let's do it. Let's do it here. Um, now, the cover, it features Cutter's father, of course, the and the previous chief of the Wolf Riders. Uh, that's Bearclaw. And he's wielding New Moon, which is also Cutter's blade. And he takes on a strange and very large monster that appears to be part cat and part snake. Man, that, that it is. It's a really, really different looking animal, too. I mean, this is yeah. just a glorious cover, you know, just another reason why I think, you know, the Marvel Epic run is important. I mean, this new content for me makes a trip worth traveling you know what i mean yeah. so i mean think about owning this as a piece of original art this oh, would be something you'd want framed on your wall this is absolutely mm -hmm. staggeringly beautiful and if i'm a comic book fan rolling into a store and checking out that newsstand this is the type of cover that i'm grabbing right away in a heartbeat i'm telling you oh, man. You know? and, and the, the colors the, the 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 stark black the purple i mean it's I, there's nothing here not to like <laughs> 
<laughs> it no, is you're, just you're absolutely right. Absolutely striking. And if you saw this on the rack next to an issue of Spider-Man or Superman or whatever, you're going to this is going to stand out. You're yeah. going to want this thing. Um, now, the issue we're going to be discussing, of course, is ElfQuest number six. This is, of course, the Marvel Epic run. So it has a January 1986 cover date. The story is called Wolf Song by Wendy and Richard Peeney. Colors by Glynis. Our epic editors are Archie and Joe. Our big man on campus is Jim Shooter, who will earn his pay in just a few moments. And yeah. uh, cover price, 75 cents USD, $1 Canadian. Ugh. They got me. <laughs> Here's, this, is, this is where the tides You're turn. You're into folding money. Yeah, yeah, we're we're in we're into paper right here. We're <laughs> out of the coin era. Now, now we crack this thing open here, and our story picks up basically right where we left off last issue with our you know with our catch up material. Now, Lita, she has sidled over to the cliffs where the Wolf Riders are conducting their howl. I mean, you talk about a beautiful looking page, Chris. I mean, you got Lita <laughs> down at the base. She's looking up. You got Cutter. He's standing on this big stone platform, arms raised out, howling at the moon. You got, you know, the rest of his wolf riders looking on. And Lita's just got this beautiful, beautiful expression on her face. And this is, like I said, this is just another brand new panel that mm-hmm. we're looking at here. And just It just blows me away that this is extra content. You know what I mean? I mean, they didn't just rough this stuff. You know what I mean? It, it, this oh, yeah. is beautiful art. This, and sure. We're talking about original art. And, you know, as I'm going through and, you know, finding stuff about, you know, about Richard and Wendy Peeney, I know that they and I don't know if they sold any now, but going through the groups and some of the forums that I that I frequent and all that stuff, they hold on to their original art. OK, mm-hmm. but now my question is, did they get to keep the originals of the Marvel art? Is Ooh, this still I theirs? I think I might throw I that up to the ElfQuest group. So if you're if you're yeah. if you're. Needing to know some ElfQuest knowledge, I'm telling you, the ElfQuest group on Facebook, the actual official ElfQuest group, they are pretty quick to answer your questions. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw that one out there, and we'll find that out for next next thing. But but I know that their own stuff that they did through Warp, uh, you know, they definitely keep all that stuff. So yeah. that, that's, that's good, and that's something that I think a lot of creators, uh, you know, don't have that option. You know, you, you hear sure. about horror stories about folks like Rob Liefeld, like, you know, cannibalizing his, you know, original cable, you know, uh, drawings and all that stuff for dirt mm-hmm. cheap back in the day. You know what I mean? And now trying to buy it back sometimes. <laughs> that got to be scary. But, man, they're sitting on a gold mine if they've got all this original artwork from the, uh, from, especially the original run. Wow. Wow. Oh, but yeah. what about the Marvel stuff? Let's throw that out there. Let's see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they are, uh, the, the fans in there are basically like ElfQuest masters or uh, PhDs almost where they, yes. they know a lot of this stuff that, uh you know, we purport ourselves as, uh, you know, fake ass comics historians here, but, you know, we don't know everything. So we uh, we will take any help we can get. But uh, now the the howl here. Now, this is described as a way of honoring and celebrating the dead through an evening of song and story. And uh, the sound of Cutter's voice is making Lita tremble. So maybe she's uh, she's having some feelings here that she is uh, has been trying to fight for a little while. Now, she reflects on what got us here, which gets uh, Jim Shooter his uh, his paycheck here. Now, of course, we uh, experience the challenge between Cutter and Ryak for the right to woo her and her re- revelation of Cutter's soul name. And you know, she's sitting here wondering what this all means. Now, if folks are just joining us, if this is your first episode, what we're talking about, you know, there's big differences. You know, go back to episode one. You'll hear all about the big differences between the original ElfQuest material and the Marvel Epic run. And part of this, 
you know, mandated by the big man on campus, Mr. Jim Shooter, mm-hmm. he always would have these catch-up pages where, you know, you were caught up on the story. So if this was your first issue of ElfQuest, you kind of got the gist of everything that was going on in the yeah. book prior to this, which is great, which which I oh, yeah. always appreciate and still love to this day. So, you know, this is the classic Marvel catch-up material, and I really do dig it. Now, I know purists are looking at me going, oh, my God, got these guys out of my arse. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Right? But, no, it's uh, I really, really do like it. So, you know, bring no, me true. bring me more, Jimmy. <laughs> It's true, and it's like uh, like you mentioned a minute ago. Uh, this is all original art. They're not they're not half assing this here. This isn't uh, like re refiguring of previously used panels, which it could have very easily been. Definitely, you know, it could have been just a montage of things we saw before with new cat new narration captions, right? But no, this is all new art. These are two whole pages of beautifully rendered art, and. Uh, I mean, the idea that every comic could be someone's first, that's, you know, that's a Stan Lee thing that was passed down to Jim Shooter. And I think the industry for the 80s was all the better for it. Uh, I mean, it doesn't make it as a, you know, we, we would we would definitely call this a comic book and not a graphic novel because oh. it has comic booky <laughs> things in it. But uh I know, I know you love that phrase, the the graphic oh, novel. Boy, I know yes, you love it. it. It's it's so it's so erudite, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and it makes you feel like you're not a kid reading a comic, which is always great. But uh, the catch-up material is important. Um, uh, you know, as purists, it's like, well, why do they have this in here? It's like because they want to sell comic books. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of the business. This is what helps put money in people's pockets and keeps these things coming out. So. Uh, and it's new material, so just enjoy it. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yes. In the day and age now where we're getting nine static shots of the same head on uh, on on pages, we're getting nine panel grids of the same head, just with different dialogue, and we're paying five times the price. Let's appreciate it when they give us more <laughs> for less. Now, yes, <laughs> now, atop the cliff, Cutter turns the howl over to Tree Stump so he can say a few words about the man that this assemblage is set to celebrate – Bearclaw. And again, these first two pages were our epic add-ons. And uh, so uh, Tree Stump begins his tale. But first, he suggests that wherever Bearclaw is, he's probably having a good chuckle at the old tribe. Now you see, he was a he was a downright wicked elf. Huge personality and just brimming with life while he was still among them. <laughs> you know what? He always seems, when I'm reading this issue, he always seems like he was far from that, you know, that description. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He always seemed to me like the stern, you know, weathered, battle-weary elf. You know what I mean? It seems like no matter how crusty you are <laughs> when you die, someone will always say that, oh, that Christian, he was always brimming with life. And you're like, what? No what, way. Is, what, is that, what does that even mean? <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Brimming oh, yeah. with life. What? Like, come on. Come on. But, you know, I got a funny story for you. So the bear claw look itself. This is what mm-hmm. I thought as a kid. So I always thought the the – the drawings of Bearclaw were really odd. So, you know, I, I was a big fan of like Cutter and Skywise and, you know, Lita and everybody else, all the, all the main cast, but Bearclaw always struck me funny. He always looked like, like a girl if they're trying to dress up as a boy with that paste on fur on their face, you know, when you go to a convention, it, like it always seemed really odd, you know what I mean? So Bear, Bearclaw's, you know, image was, uh, was, it was never my favorite, but uh, yeah, he's brimming with life. Totally this guy. 
<laughs> and I think uh, it's funny because, like, I think Bear Claw is a character that, you know, we mentioned when we read about Ryak here and his uh, the challenge, right? We we talked about how we view him differently now as adults than we did when we were kids. Because first time we met Ryak, his kids were like, "Oh, I hate oh, this yeah. guy. I yeah. hate this guy. What a jerk." When you look at Bear Claw as a kid, it's like, "Oh, he's the dad." You know, he is the he's the serious dad and like we like Cutter. So we want to see Cutter do his thing. But here's dad. And now as grownups, it's a little bit different where it's like you can kind of see him screwing with the trolls and being like, oh, OK, I kind of I kind of get that. He was a little bit of a little bit of a trickster, a little bit of a you know, a little bit of a needle in the side. But uh, oh, boy, was he ever. <laughs> can you imagine some of his his tricks? Wink, wink uh, happening today in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> probably not oh, he'd, be, no, he'd be having like, a seat with a certain tv show he might now now we learned that bear claw had passed six years ago and i uh, was relatively speaking quite the young elf at the time now tree stump lists off some of bear claw's exploits and uh as mentioned he sounds like he was kind of a jerk but in <laughs> a charismatic I mean. sort of way oh. uh now he would instigate humans by snatching their babies so he's probably responsible for the halt getting burnt down in the first place um now, he wouldn't hurt the babies. He would leave them dangling from nearby tree branches. So I'm guessing that uh, the Gotara guy is probably one of the babies that he had hanging from a tree branch. And he's like, screw those guys. I'm burning them to the ground. Um, now, now, of course, those babies would still be alive. So they, uh... I, always thought, I always thought that was a little bit much. Oh, my <laughs> God. I mean, we're left to wonder why the elves were always in danger from these humans. Well... I mean, baby snatching is not a great to start the mending relationships. So you know what? Talk about poking the bear. Oh, that bear claw. He's just 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 bringing with life back Jesus. No, he would he would also screw with the trolls, out gamble them in games of dice. He'd also drink you under the table if you'd let him. I mean, he's he's like the eighties movie heel when you know yeah. when you think of it. Like, you know, he is the talk of the elf lore, you know what I mean? He's he's that uh he's that douchebag with the blonde hair and a circle of friends you see in that movie who's always beating up the nerd when he's trying to get the cool girl, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's got the sweater tied around his neck. Hey, everybody, everyone, you know, latches around Bear Claw and he's shoving the nerd down the corner. Hey, step away. At Let the end of a story, he drives his car through the concession stand. And, <laughs> <you know>. Exactly. <laughs> now, at this point, Clearbrook speaks up. Uh, and this might actually be her first line of dialogue in the series. Uh, she is One-Eye's life mate, and she's the one with the very long silver braid. Um, now, she suggests that if tonight's chant is for Bearclaw, that they mustn't leave out Bearclaw's life mate and also, you know, Cutter's mother, Joyleaf. Now, uh, Joyleaf was Tree Stump's sister, by the way, so Tree Stump is Cutter's uncle, and her kindness and level-headedness complemented Bearclaw's brashness. Now, she was always get to, able to get him to cool his jets, and, of course, together they raised a fine boy in Cutter. And I like this. I mean, seriously, the women are framed as, like, clear-minded and sensible, while the guys are, you know, these brash meatheads who are, you know, <laughs> in need of calming. You know, yes. it's another one of these reasons why, again— why this book needed, honestly, to be created by a woman, because, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely you, you cannot let a let a hairy ass man write. No <laughs> it would not no. turn out well. There there would definitely be differences and women would be framed much different, especially in 86. So, yeah. you know, good good on Wendy Peeney here. So, you know, the, the women are keeping these men in line and keeping Absolutely. them sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. And they they you know, they're serving a purpose that isn't just being in distress. You know, they're they are vital to the uh 
to the role and to the uh, survival of the of the tribe and the the perseverance. And they're not just background characters; like they have personality. No. Like like Wendy went ahead and defined these characters, like men and the women. So you oh, know yeah. they're not just there for you know your your cheesecake and all that stuff. They're there mm-hmm. for a purpose. They have reason. They're they interact you know in different ways with the cast. It's it's I love it. And that's hard to do. I mean, as we've seen evidenced by a lot of comics in the past 20 years where it's like, okay, well, we want a cast of many, many characters, a huge cast. And then it's like, okay, so you spend an issue introducing everybody and the introductions are basically this is their name and this is their power. And then it's like, well, okay, so when uh, when Wolverine and Cyclops are having a conversation in the front of the panel, here's a few of those characters 50 feet back against the wall. It's like, yeah, we showed them. We showed them. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're not fleshing anybody out They're They're not recognizable where I mean, I haven't read ElfQuest in many years at this point. Well, I actually I've read the Dark Horse phone books about five years ago. But I mean, I haven't read it like I used to read it where I used to read these things over and over and over again. Here I am 30 years later and I still recognize all these characters. You know, they still have left a mark on me where it's like, okay, well that's Strongbow. That's Tree Stump. And it's like, oh yeah, Tree Stump is Cutter's uncle. It's like you remember all these things because of all the work that went into making them actual three-dimensional characters, which with a cast this big, this potentially unwieldy, uh, that's just a a masterstroke of uh, world building. And uh, and you got to love it. I love it. It is it is excellent. And you know what I mean? You talk about developing a cast. They, they've they gone through, you know, this is one of those books that goes in rich detail on characters, okay. on background, on personality. Everybody has a place in ElfQuest. And, you know, oh, yeah. one of the very strengths of the entire book, sir. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And those personalities are actually maintained, believe it or not, through the whole run here. It's like we don't have sudden we don't suddenly have someone decide to disavow the tribe or exactly or change from a i'm suddenly a vegetarian it's they, they don't change you know they they are they, they are who they are and it's just great well that's the strength of having one creative team on the book you know what i mean you don't get someone who's going to take it in a brand new direction or a bendis coming in and all of a sudden you get you know you go from an action book to a dialogue heavy book where nobody does anything or or barely <laughs> exists in a superhero costume you know what i mean yep we're going to introduce a brand that... new character also named Cutter, and then we're going to have them both <laughs> on the same panel at the same time, and they're going to talk to each other and call each other Cutter. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, why do we have two Hawkeyes? Why, why Everything have... you knew was, you know. <laughs> yes. Now, Clearbrook attributes much of this to the fact that Bearclaw and Joyleaf recognized one another. That's why they were so perfect for one another. They were recognized. And uh, this is a statement that is overheard by Lita and appears to resonate in her. Now, she thinks to herself that, uh, you know what, maybe Clearbrook spent a little bit too much time living among the wolves because uh, she never, she'd never think to question something as primal as recognition. At this point, Cutter speaks up. He comments that Sava, the Sunfolk's mother of memory, is old because she is. And uh, he now knows that any one of them can live to a ridiculously ripe old age and cites that Bearclaw's death six years ago probably didn't actually have to happen. And we will talk about um, Bearclaw maybe choosing death. We'll talk about that in a bit. Now, Bearclaw made this choice consciously is what Cutter is getting at, because uh, Bearclaw, ever since Cutter was a boy, he would always tell Cutter that a wolf rider's life is short. 
I'm a, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you are your circumstances, you are your surroundings, you know what I mean? Like, say, for example, you, you know, you hear people about, you know, this guy got shot because of, you know, a, a, a drug lord slang and all that stuff. In my opinion, if you're never exposed to any of that area, you're almost 99.9%, you know, less likely to, to be killed by a drug runner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you are your surroundings. So, yes. you know, when, when you think about a situation like this, I mean, you don't have to worry about being killed, you know, while being present yes. in said activity. You increase your lifespan. That's not rocket science, people. That's all I'm trying <laughs> to say. So, you know, you got Bear Claw, you know, he doesn't have to jump in and, you know, uh, you know, aggravate the humans. He doesn't have yeah. to, you know, go directly into the heart of battle and go after this big mad coil thing that we're going to see mm-hmm. later on. You know, he could have survived. I mean, it's only yeah. six years ago that he died. But at a very young age, when you got all these other people like Saba living mm-hmm. these extensive lifestyles, you know, or extensive sure. lifespans, I should say. So I think it was a little bit needless, honestly. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely, and and we'll talk about like maybe some reasons why, and uh, you know maybe he had nothing to live for after something happens, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Now, um, to the story, uh, Rainsong asks Cutter to tell Bearclaw's story because her children, New Star and Wing, well, they weren't born when it happened. They're very, very young, so they're I guess under six years old. Now, Moonshade, she mentions that she and Strongbow's son Dart. Well, he was alive, but way too young to remember this. So Cutter begins to tell the tale of his father's final hunt. And it opens with this really wonderful shot. We have Bear Claw's Wolf Riders, uh, with, which includes characters we've never seen before. So it really shows you that, uh, I mean, that the Wolf Riders are, are a huge family of people who come and go, people who are born and die. It's It really is like this this clannish sort of a sort of situation and environment. Yeah. And that so, particular panel you're talking about, what a beautiful splash page. I mean, oh yeah. Got, you know, all in the foreground. They, you know, the peenies really like to capture that foreground image. You know what I mean? And yeah. then do like lush detail in the background. And you've mm-hmm. got like, you know, all the main elves in the front, you know, you've got your cutters, you got your joy leaf, you got your, you know, bear claw tree stump, all, all the main folks are there lined off in the front. And then you've got a cast of other people you don't even know, which you can just go back and go, mm-hmm. wow, you know, who's this, who's this, who's that. So, you know, you can do a lot of nitpicking in Wendy Peeney's drawings and that's another strength. And, you know, if you're an ElfQuest fan, you got a lot to take in on every panel. And I love this one. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that stood out to me at first was that we see a young Cutter among them, right? This is only six years ago, but Cutter looks younger. Like, he does. he's instantly recognizable as Cutter, but he's younger. And it's like, it, the differences are very subtle, but it's like you can, just by looking at his page, his picture here, you can see that his skin is a little softer, right? I mean, you can yes. just tell that he is younger, and uh, it's... Like one of the people that we joke about a lot is Gary Frank, right? We talk about <laughs> Gary Frank's art where it's like when he was drawing Superman, it was like, okay, here's Christopher Reeve. And then it's like, well, here's a flashback to Superman's childhood. Well, here's Christopher Reeve's head on a small body, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And it's really off-putting because you get yeah. – it's almost scary because you got – he doesn't even change oh, the size of the heads. No, it's like they have a giant adult head on a kid body and it's like this (laughs) massive basketball sitting on like a a toothpick. Yeah, a wrinkly, (laughs) (laughs) sunken in. It's it was. But uh, here it's Cutter and he's younger. And uh, as you mentioned, there are some elves we haven't seen before. 
And we see Rain, who is the father of Rain Song. We see Foxfur. Now, this is a love mate of Skywise. So someone we haven't seen before and we won't be seeing again. And we also have some hippie and a girl walking uh, who looks this girl who kind of looks like Moonshade uh, walking with one eye. And uh, we do have some names here. We did check out the various wikis and groups. Uh, Yokut, Long Branch and Brownberry are wow. apparently in this book. I don't know which one's which, but uh, they're here now on this night. A new and bizarre scent has filled the woods. It's very, very unnatural. And so the wolf riders are set to look into it. Now, in the distance, they hear a rumbling and they come across the fresh corpse of a wolf cub. And uh, by the way it was killed and by the way that it was left, they can tell that this wolf cub was killed for fun and not for sustenance. It wasn't eaten. It was just killed. So Cutter turns to Rain, of course, Rain Song's father and also the wolf rider's healer, to tell him that he hopes that they won't need his special brand of skills this night. And no sooner does he say this than Rain has his throat slashed by this new beast. And we are off to the races. And I'm mm-hmm. listening, I remember reading this cute little book about elves and <laughs> just remembering, you know, the stark death toll that's actually in these books. I mean, the issue always got me because it, it's always pure fantasy. You know what I mean? That's the first thing that I took out of it. They're like, man, this is like Dungeons and Dragons on the page. Mm-hmm. And then you start reading it and there's so much more to it. And, you know, you get the quest, you get the monster, you get all the different elements that make up a beautiful fantasy story. It's all here, but it's about to get gruesome. And, man, this is the stuff Mm -hmm. that I hooked on as a kid. I'm like, wow, this is not, uh, you know, Disney elves. No, sir. They're going for the jugular, literally. Literally, yes. And uh, it's here that we get our first glimpse of this beast, Mad Coil. Now, yes, it bursts onto frame and it attacks the wolf riders. Here's the thing, though doesn't just attack him physically, but mentally as well, because Mad Coil can send. See, there's the thing. The sending power is almost so much fun. So, you know, you're, you're getting all these little lore additions that the peenies are giving us and giving it to the entire world of role play and fantasy mm-hmm. in general. You know what I mean? A lot of things that we know from role play and all that type of stuff, people attribute to Dungeons and Dragons. But I'm telling you right now, ElfQuest had influence on a lot of these things as well, from design 100%. To sending, to recognition and all that stuff. You see that in other forms in bigger platforms like D&D and other role-playing games. But uh, you know what? You get some Genesis here, man. And then mm-hmm. ElfQuest is a big, big contributor to the world of RP. I'll tell you right now. Oh, yeah. Big, big influence. A hundred percent. Now, Bearclaw orders the Wolf Riders to retreat. Though, when they reach their rendezvous location, there are several of their number unaccounted for. And they include Brownberry, Long Branch. <laughs> Foxfur and Joyleaf. Wait a minute. His mother. Right away, this early yes. in the game. Like you can Absolutely. you can see you can see the other ones. They're basically red shirts from the from the get go. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Brownberry, Long Branch, Foxfur. You knew you know which were... ones they are. <laughs> no. You knew they <laughs> well, were wearing Foxfur. the red shirt. They were headed <laughs> yeah. to that planet and never coming back to the Enterprise. You know what I mean? But Joyleaf seemed like just, you know, was gonna be around. You know, Cutter's mother, Bear Claw's woman. Yeah, nope. either she ain't making it. No, no, we figure, like, of course, she's not going to make it because she's not in the story now. But I think we would expect that there'd be a more dramatic end for her, right? Or a yes. more definitive end for her instead of her just not coming back, which I think is just a, a beautiful piece of storytelling because sometimes they just don't come back. 
and it's like and and not only that it leaves doors open as well so you know if you're if you're writing this thing and you're you're setting up a big mystery or a return character and all that stuff leave these little little tiny doors open you don't need to expressly show you know the the girlfriend in the in the in the refrigerator you know what i mean (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) bad example (laughs) now bearclaw heads to to a clearing in order to attempt to make contact with his missing life mate but no answer comes back. Now, he sits down with his son, Cutter, and explains the situation. He claims that, you know what, even if Joy Leaf were unconscious, she would have given him some sort of a sign, some sort of an answer. So he is certain at this point that she is no more. Now, at this point, Bearclaw sends everyone back to the halt so he can hunt down Mad Coil himself. Now, Tree Stump, he puts up a fight, wanting to come along to help avenge his sister. Bearclaw will not have it, and, I mean, Bearclaw, brimming with life, of course, dares any of his men to cross him. It's like, you got a problem with it? Step to me. And this baby they don't. Because uh, <laughs> this is Bearclaw's time. I, I mean, as a kid reading this, I recall that this, you know, I was like, all right, this guy's badass. You know, such a fun scene. And finally, you know, they get, they got me rooting for him. So, you know, he's just not, you know, patchy girl from the uh, – <laughs> <from the>, uh, <laughs> from the uh comic con anymore you know i i'm buying into the bear claw character at this point and boy does he got revenge on his mind after they killed his woman and a bunch of red shirts so i mean you know it's about to get graphic folks and this is this is the joy and fun and uh you know for, for the guys reading this book this is this is the uh the life bread of, of elf quest in my opinion right here for oh me. yeah so tree stump backs down one eye backs down strongbow backs down they're not going to step to this wild-eyed bear claw cutter however well he informs his father that uh yeah i'm gonna go with you tonight and there ain't nothing you could do to stop me and uh bear claw looks at him he looks at him and then he smirks he's like huh okay yeah sure you can come kid so bear claw rushes deeper into the woods and as he does so cutter turns to tree stump and he's like hey if neither of us come back you're the chief buddy and uh, if they fall this night, Tree Stump is to take the tribe and go as far away from it, uh, take far away from the halt as he can to make sure that they they live on, they uh, survive. We don't know what Mad Coil is capable of, so if we don't come back, and do, I, do whatever I, you can. I think I would have taken Tree Stump with me. <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm just yeah, saying. Maybe. <laughs> this seems like a little bit of a uh, insurmountable opponent. You don't even know what you're dealing with, and you're going to bring your your only begotten son. Yes, this, this insult- seems like uh, some bad thin in yeah. here by, by the bear claw. Yeah, because if Cutter were to die and Bear Claw were to die, uh, the blood of ten sheaves is done. That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I I ain't taking no Mad Coil alone. I'll tell you that right now. Forget it. I mean, when you have such such people as Strongbow who can like who can like hit a net at a mile and a half away. Yeah, you, you know, you maybe you take those people with you, but uh, it was yeah. old tree stump. I got a question for you. Was old tree stump like doing that, you know, that that regressive handshake where you're gonna go, oh yeah, you know, I'll take care of these. You guys, you know, I really want to go and take on this big, you know, crazy beast, but you know, I understand that I have to be here for my people. He's like, yeah, screw you guys, <laughs> you crazy bastards. <laughs> you guys go right ahead. Yeah, it's the uh, it's like. Oh, 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 yeah, like when uh, when the check comes and somebody's already put their their wallet on the table and you like reach for yours too. It's like, oh yeah, oh you got it already. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I don't want to insult you. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
I know that I have to be here, you know, out of obligation. And I will do my obligation, but I really, in heart, want to be fighting this mad coil. Right there alongside you. Yeah. (laughs) Spiritual. Now we jump ahead to Cutter and Bearclaw arriving at the clearing where Mad Coil had attacked the Wolf Riders. And uh, the fallen Wolf Riders, they're all gone. And together they discover Mad Coil's den. And it's empty. He's not home. But it uh, reeks of death. Now deep inside this lair lay bones, both human and elven. They decide to make camp outside the lair and wait. Now while Cutter sleeps... Well, Bear Claw doesn't. He's awake. He takes a look at his son and he's like, okay, gotta go. And he slinks away. And he sends out a mental challenge to Mad Coil. And well, we've got good news and we've got bad news. And it's both that Mad Coil answers. Yep, <laughs> he says, sure. <laughs> Name the time and the place and we'll do the thing. Now, Cutter is awakened by a roar in the distance a little bit later, and he rushes to a clearing where he discovers his father. Now, Bearclaw, he's already been gutted, and he is bleeding out. Another case and of where it, we didn't see the action, you know what I mean? You're just, you're you're led to believe what happened here, so I, I dig Sure. That. Yeah, you don't need to see the, the evisceration, you just know what happened. Yep. And this panel's a little weird. Um, I don't know if you've got it right in front of you here, but you've got like, we've got Mad Coil, right? Like just slithering away in the front ground, in the foreground. It's like you see the end of his tail, and like Cutter and Bearclaw are just like there next to it. Yeah, I see that. It's, <laughs> it's that is really odd. <laughs> like, why wouldn't Mad Quail just be like, oh, here's the kid. Let me kill the kid too. It's just like, nah, see ya. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> and he just gives him his time with his dad. It's really, uh, it's almost like, okay, yeah. Here's what's left of your dad, kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Here's This is what's going to happen to you if you mess with me type of deal. So, you know, yeah, it's it's sort of hilarious how you just see the tail. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the and just a little hiss sound like. Yes. But you got, I mean, the tail itself is it's one of those tricks, you know, you see in comic books where, you know, you don't have to go full in. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the great artists of the day would always use these shortcuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just show a hand, just show, you know, it, it adds more a drama shadow. to it all. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you got to see it firsthand. I know you're covering a lot of X-Men and, you mm. know, you got like the the purple gloved hand in the yes. door. Oh my goodness. I wonder who that's going to be. You know who what I mean? So, I mean, I mean, I remember this story is, you know, is being recanted by the elves itself. So, I mean, is it possible that the story is being interpreted by Cutter's point of view, maybe embellished a little bit, you know, how stories from generation to generation, I mean, you know, people add a little bit of oh, tech the, context, the you know telephone. what I mean? Yeah. And when he saw me coming, you know, <laughs> after the death of my father, he scurried away in panic and fear. Of me, Cutter. You know what with I mean? Just no. A hiss. Yes. Yes, with just a hiss. You never know. You never know. But I, I, I do like. You know, it's possible that there's some interpretation here. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I mean, he's trying to tell the story of his father and how you know heroic he was and all that stuff. So is he embellishing a little bit? Is this the the true story, or are we getting a little bit of a modified story from Cutter's point of view? Hmm. Very well be. Now, as Bearclaw lay dying, he and Cutter share some final words. And it's worth noting here that Bearclaw knows Cutter's soul name. So I wonder if this means that all parents know their children's soul names. What do you think? I mean, I guess the bond is just like it's a love bond, whether parental mm-hmm. or, or even with a life mate. But, you know, this is an interesting twist here. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we ever see this come up again. Like, 
I mean, we, we will have some of our uh, some of our starring characters here have children in the coming uh, months yeah. here. So I wonder if they know if they know each other's soul names. You, you would think you would think a parent would would know their soul name. You think that would be yeah. would be a thing. But maybe not. Maybe it was always intended to be the life mate. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? Now, he gives Cutter New Moon and ah. he asks him to finish Mad Coil, knowing that when uh, when Cutter strikes, he, too, will be striking through him. So Bear Claw's like, a victory for you is a victory for the family. <laughs> no, no pressure here, by the way. None. No pressure. Right? No pressure. Here's my sword. I just got gutted. Here I am dying in your arms. By the way, son, just go kill that bastard. What kill that thinking? thing and uh, and do it for do it for the Gipper. And uh, and then he dies. He passes. Yeah. yeah, this this was a moment, man. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he's talking about a nice little kids book, you know, yeah. they say, right? <laughs> it's moments like this where ElfQuest stands on its own, man. It's just a serious work. And when you really get into the meat and potatoes, you know, there's a lot of really really adult themes here, and they tackle yeah. death head on, man. So absolutely. Now, Cutter looks to a nearby cliff, and he sees Bearclaw's wolf, Blackfell, has led several wolves to the scene. Now, was this a wolf, or is it a German shepherd? (laughs) That's a joke for later, by the way. (laughs) Now, Blackfell, I I love the way this wolf looks. It's literally just black. Yeah. Like, it looks like a walking shadow. It's just so cool. Um, Now, Blackfell brought several wolves with him, and they carried Bearclaw's body away to wherever his final resting place is going to be. Do we get to find out? Did you know, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Now, Cutter then asks one of the wolves to let out a raucous howl in order to inform the rest of the wolf riders that he needs them, you know, PDQ, get here quick. And yep. they soon join him. And Cutter makes the announcement that Bearclaw has perished. After a moment of somber silence, Tree Stump addresses Cutter as his new chief and, uh, Basically asked to do his bidding. You know, what what are what are your orders? What are the next steps? I am here to serve. I always found this funny. I mean, you got just with no deliberation or question, you know, you just got Cutter assuming leadership. Just moments ago, he was the kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's just this the son of Bearclaw. He's learning, you know, he's you know he's he's just trying to find his way. And you got way more experienced elves, yeah. and now he's thrown into a leadership role. I mean, if this were gonna if this was the case. It almost seems a little bit reckless to have, you know, to have Bearclaw and Cutter run off together originally. You know what I mean? I talked totally. about this a second ago. Totally. You're just leaving leadership up in arms. What if two of them died? Yeah. You know what I mean? Politically, yeah. the move made no sense at all. You know what I mean? If no. you're going to protect the lineage and the bloodline, you, you want to make sure that, you know, at least one of these guys were going to standing, you know, be standing tall. I mean, it would have made sense if he took tree stump and kept the sun yeah. in, in behind. You know what I mean? But maybe, like I said, maybe Tree Stump was wading in the weeds, hoping that he was going to be next. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit more diabolical, but uh, but we know it's not. You know, he's he's uh, he's loyal to the cause, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's not. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but when uh, when Ronald Reagan was shot back in uh, the early 80s, uh, this guy mentioned that uh, like that he is t- assuming leadership because Reagan's in the hospital. Bush is <laughs> Vice President Bush was, you know, in hiding, you know, just in case. And he said that I'm in charge now, and everybody kind of like just laughed at him. <laughs> I wonder if that's what Tree Stump's all about here. It's like he's a designated okay, guys. survivor. Yep. Yes, that's it. Now, uh, now Cutter is certain that Mad Coil can be killed because he claims that in the final battle with Bearclaw, well, his father did manage to draw some blood on the beast. And unlike his father, he knows that to do this alone would be suicide, which 
uh, we will talk about because uh, maybe maybe this was a little suicidal for Bearclaw here. Was was he ever expecting to return from this battle? Was this a suicide mission? Had he lost his will to live and lead with Joyleaf's passing? Right? Was this something he was not planning to come back from? I think it's a good point. I don't think he's in charge of his faculties here. He's basically leading with his heart. So, I mean, to me, it's yeah. it's reckless to bring a son along. I mean, he, clearly he has revenge in his eyes, especially with Joy Leaf's death. But, I mean, Cutter just lost his mother, and now his father, too. You talk about PTSD, Within minutes, man. yeah. Holy cow. Now, you know, he's put in this leadership position. You talk about trial by fire, baby. You know, Cutter just got thrown to literally the wolves. So here you go. Sort it out, kid. Let God sort it out because, you know, <laughs> don't know what to tell you. You're in charge. Make it happen. What's our next move? Yeah. So uh, now Cutter, he can't do this alone, right? So he enlists the aid of the entire tribe to set a trap for the monster. I mean, Smart, brilliant, maybe. brilliant move. <laughs> But you think a guy with such experience as Bearclaw would have taken this route earlier, don't you think? No joke. No joke. Yeah, so guys, uh, we got this large mad coil monster. I think we're going to need everybody's help here. It seems a little bit perilous for me to take this on myself. You know what I mean? <laughs> Crazy. Come on. So, and, and they're not only going to take this on offensively, but they're going to, they're actually going to put an infrastructure in place. Yes, they're to, going to all Ewoks. Facility. Return of the RTOJ, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the the bear the the bear clothes. No, the wolf riders. They weave a net from vines and foliage, and they hang it high in the trees here. So like they have a plan. We have Cutter, who then approaches Mad Coil's den because Mad Coil is home because he just finished killing Bearclaw. Yep. And he dares it to attack. So he's you know throwing rocks, at, throwing pebbles in there. It's like, hey guy, hey, yep. hey, free pizza. Come on, come on out. And uh, we get the uh, kind of. You know, it's a better ending than usual yes. for an epic yes. comic here. Yeah. Um, it still feels a little abrupt, but it's definitely better than what we've gotten before. This is where we leave it. Cutter making the challenge, laying the I, challenge down to Mad Coil. I think you're right. This is this is a perfect end point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it feels a lot more. Yeah, 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 it feels more organic than what we've what we've seen in the previous five issues. You know what I mean? It, it makes sense that you would end here. But, you know. The big splash page is what needed to end with, you know what I mean? Standing in front of the cave, daring it to come out, and, you know, maybe having the eyes glow from the cave or something sure. like that. And can, you know, find out what happens to Cutter in issue seven, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? That's how that's how you do it. But, well, as for an ending, this is as good as it got. So no complaints here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's funny because uh, I, I had recently read this story for an appearance I made on the uh, long box chronicles or the long box crusade. And, uh, we read the warp version. So it had yeah. the whole story. Right. And, right. uh, so reading this now, it like kind of, it kind of took me out for a second. I'm like, wait a minute, we don't get the whole story here. <laughs> just, it totally surprised me that, uh, this is that where we, the cut this, was. yeah, that, that there is multiple parts to this story. And I'm trying to think what number – I think this was issue three or four of the Warp One. And to your point earlier that this should have happened early in the series, I think maybe it kind of did in the Warp version. You know, maybe uh, – maybe I mean because it's only the third issue in, so maybe – Oh, maybe yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, so we think we're in issue six. We're, you know, getting getting you know getting up there in, yeah. in numbers. Yeah, and you're right. Maybe this – yeah, in reality, it, it yeah. is early. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe that's it. But – uh. Yeah, this is this is a story that it's like a story I don't even need to read because I know it so well after reading it uh, 
literally dozens of times. It's just, uh, it's really just laying the foundation for everything that Cutter is going to become. And we see, like we talk about, you know, him suffering some PTSD here, losing both parents, being thrust into leadership. And the difference between he and Bearclaw is, is, is very profound. You know, Bearclaw, when we saw him performing his antics, right, when we were seeing how he was brimming with life, he was alone. You know, right. he was stealing babies by himself. He was screwing with the trolls by himself. Where Cutter is more about the tribe. Even when Cutter went out to save Redlands in the first issue, he's with Skywise. Anytime exactly. Cutter does anything, he is surrounded by people he can depend on and count on and love. Where Bearclaw is a lone wolf, no pun intended. So we see the difference between these two characters here. Good and point. and like in taking on this this unknown beast, this mad coil who they've only known for a scant few hours. They don't know what the what this thing is powered with. For all they know, this big plan they have could end with the entire Wolf Rider tribe being wiped out. But it's the way that they approach it. You know, Bearclaw is all about I'm only getting my hands dirty, everyone else, you're just gonna get in my way, or hey, you know what, my life isn't worth as much as the tribe's, so you guys stay over here. Where Cutter, it's like, hey, we're a family, we're a team, we need each other, we have strengths that can complement one another. And I think those two very, very different uh, approaches to leadership and management, I guess, for lack of a better term, it really helps us to understand like, where Cutter comes from what Cutter's point of view is here is, is his management style an act of rebellion <laughs> against his right. parents? Is exactly. it just like learning from his parents' mistakes? Is it seeing what didn't work and now trying to do something that does? It's just, I mean, this is, this is perfect. This is but just let's, so let's great. think about Bear Claw's strategy. You, mm-hmm. you said it yourself. I mean, he did a lot of things by himself, but is he causing trouble for his own group doing this? I mean, seriously, yeah. are you tiring your entire entire group with the brush i mean you know true you, you got poor joy leaf she gets killed you know maybe yep. he was poking the bear with the mad coil you know what i mean what you see causing trouble that you know getting everybody else in trouble with the humans and causing all this dissension you know doing his little antics you know stealing babies and you know rally, riling up the trolls you know what i mean is he setting the rest of the group up for failure with this crap yeah, <laughs> and, seriously think about it and you know let's think about mad coil for a second here has Mad Coil done anything to the elves? Uh, Mad Coil was just all we know about Mad Coil before the attack was that it killed a wolf cub for fun. Yes, there were a lot of predators out there who do that. You know, exactly. there are a lot of predators out there who will kill for the sport of it, humans included. You know, and it's yes. like uh, maybe they they could. I mean. Mad Coil wasn't a newborn, so clearly they lived and occupied the same space for a, a, a period of time. So why, you know, why, why would they take the offense to this, like, right away? You know, it, it feels seems, like they didn't yeah, do it's, any it's, homework. It's, it's, yeah, it's out of character. You, you're you're jumping into a fray you don't know anything about. So, you know, yeah. maybe uh, maybe old Bear Claw's leadership skills were, were not the finest tuned, and maybe the son— mm-hmm has learned a lot from the father and how not to do things. How about that? I think so. I think so indeed. Now that is our story, but we're not done with the issue because we've got a whole lot of back matter here. And as usual, we will start with, uh, uh, what they would have loved to have 
and that is a single letter being written in, because they never got any letters over in Moratory Mondays, we've got a whole bunch in our Quests and Answers segment, and we're going to start with Paul in Tennessee. Now, Paul, he loves ElfQuest, despite being more of a Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Judge Dredd fan. <laughs> well, I said good day, sir! <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it's a compliment to be, you know, fourth on that list. Yeah. I mean... Another thing that I pointed out here, number one, I, in that Indiana Jones series, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones from Marvel is great. If you're an Indiana That's Jones fan. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that that is some fantastic stuff. I'm telling mm-hmm. you right now, check that out. Indiana Jones, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Check it out. And, and I can't rave more enough about Marvel Star Wars. Just, mm-hmm. you know, expanded universe before was a thing. Now, Judge Dredd. I, I, I found it curious <laughs> to see that on the list because, you know, Old Judge Dredd, old JD, that was like that that hoity-toity book that, uh, you know, real comic book nerds, you know, who, you mm. know, swarmed to back in the, the day, you know what I mean? The graphic novelists. Yes, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden you, you'd have this guy who didn't collect any comics, but, you know, he may have come into passing with some of these Judge Dredd books, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden it's a big deal. Oh, this has a lot of death and swearing, <laughs> so it's a lot better, more adult than the crap you're reading. You and it's I mean? magazine size, so it's more like yes, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I tell you what, uh, early Judge Dredd was uh, was not 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 my favorite. Not my no, favorite no, I no. came into a. Uh, they started releasing the phone book size Judge Dreads, and yeah. uh, uh, back before the local used bookstore became like a boutique used bookstore, they used to have like a whole bunch of stuff there for cheap, you know. So yep. I grabbed one of those uh, phone books for like five bucks, and it's like, ah, hey, you know, like. 300 pages for $5. I'll give it a shot. Cause I was right. always interested in judge dread because you, like you said, you hear so much about it as like this sort of cornerstone in especially, you know, UK comics. Oh, it was, the, it was the, the top of the food chain. It was of their course. bragging, right? You know what I mean? yeah. We got judge dread. You guys don't. Mm-hmm. And like, I so mean, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> and like the DC would license judge dread in the early nineties. I mean, we'd see judge dread on occasion, but uh, boy, yeah, it's, it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite. And it's so interesting to see this on a list here. It's like, it's like, yes, I like chocolate. I like vanilla and I like radishes. It's like, what? Star Wars, Indiana Jones and Judge Dredd? <laughs> I don't I get it. <laughs> very, very strange here. Now, actually, going into one of the questions or one of the comments we made earlier, uh, this uh, Paul asks if the peenies sell their original art. Now, I don't know if you've read it, but in the forums, it's very, very clear that the Peenies have, you know, had no intention of ever yeah. selling their original art. And it's just one of these things that they keep, you know, mm-hmm. close to the vest, which is very, very smart. I mean, we are entering the age of, you know, the juggernaut priced original art. Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I mean, it is embarrassing how much a lot of these pages go for. Not ElfQuest. Yeah. But just any random 90s book with like Rob Liefeld or Todd McFarlane or Jim mm-hmm. Lee. These things are bringing in like tens of thousands of dollars a single page yeah. for nothing, for crap for, for Yeah, and like for – like you want to see like Wolverine's ear on a page. Yep. You know, exactly. it's like not even like full facials, not even full, you know, uh, figures. It's just – it's – Listen, if you have a full-fledged Wolverine or a full-fledged cable or something like that from the mm-hmm. 90s, you know, you've got you've got a fortune in your hands right there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, um, this Paul, he also asks what uh, Wendy's comic influences are and also demands that there be an ElfQuest movie. 
Mm. <laughs> How interesting is that, Chris? That's very so, interesting. So I, I literally dug into the forums on this one because I want to know everything that I could possibly know about an ElfQuest movie, okay? Mm -hmm. So apparently, believe it or not, they were going to make a ElfQuest animated movie, okay? Mm -hmm. So the Peenies... Um, did this rough draft. I don't, I don't even know it was the peenies, but there was a rough draft done up and it was done with like some of the, almost like a motion comic. They did yeah. stills. They added some music, some, you know, some, some different sound effects and all that stuff and piece this thing together. And you got to see, you know, a good, almost like a commercial for the original quest. Yeah. Apparently that's where it stalled. Mm. And we all know that uh, we talked about last episode that, you know, they started a Kickstarter, a very successful Kickstarter, by the For way, sure. to do ElfQuest, the audio movie. So, you know, I think the peenies are, are very specific, you know, in what they want to see on the screen when it comes oh, to their sure. product. So, you know, when it comes to live action, I don't think we're ever going to see one. And boy, did we, you know, uh, boy, did we see a, a, a treatment of that. Have you seen the ElfQuest fan film that's floating around the uh, the YouTubes mm -hmm. uh, with with? No wolves and, you know, some suspect huskies as, as wolves and, you know, the same woman playing probably two different parts and all kinds of weird, crazy Comic-Con type stuff. Uh, you, you'll get a clear vision of why there's there's no ElfQuest movie at this time. But <laughs> here's what I'll say. I think that technology has advanced and animation in general has advanced far enough that we can actually see a successful ElfQuest animated movie exactly how it is in the pages. Oh, probably of the warp stuff right now. I, I have no question. I mean, you see some of the old Marvel stuff, you know, the original Kirby stuff that's actually put the frame now. I mean, people do it, you know, right from their home and mm -hmm. just on a laptop and they animate this stuff and it comes out really, really solid. Yeah, so listen, I tell sure. you what, I think one day that we may see an ElfQuest thing. Let's get through the, the audio movie right now, but uh, some very interesting stuff. Now, one thing I did stumble on, mm -hmm. which I had no idea existed was the, uh, there was a ElfQuest, and I sent it to you over on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It was basically the motion comic. Yes. And it was ElfQuest. It's from a, 1992. It's, it came, from 1992. So it's a super rare fire and flight video comic book movie. So, you know, on the cover, and this thing exists. You can buy it for $200 yeah. on eBay right now. So on the cover, it's got Lita, Skywise, and Cutter, and they're running through, they're leaping over a bunch of trees and ElfQuest with a brand new ElfQuest logo, mm -hmm. which is, it's really standoffish to be honest with you is right there <laughs> on the screen. Now yep. on the back, it says journey into high adventure and the rom and romance in fire and flight. And I can't really make out much of it, but it says the forest dwelling elves called the wolf riders are something out of, are, are, are out of their ancestral home by vengeful humans betrayed by the cowardly trolls, the elves, Something by uh, the elves by Cutter, led by Cutter, <laughs> blood of ten chiefs. Then it just across the desert, yada yada yada, sorrows end. Yes, <laughs> but then you get to see some panels. So you know, it's a uh, it's a very very interesting design, and they actually have a picture of the VHS tape and all kinds of things, which I'll upload to the uh, hashtag Questerdays over on Twitter. Sure. You can see it for yourself. But uh, man. You talk about, uh, you know, stuff I didn't know exist, you know, a basically a pilot or a commercial for an animated movie, mm -hmm. a motion comic. I had no idea this stuff existed. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're here to do this show so we could not only, you know, talk about history to the fans, but, you mm -hmm. know, enlighten Learn ourselves something. as well. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And that ElfQuest logo is really, really bad. It's crap. Oh, it's Clearly, like... I, 
Yeah, it's like if you take like if you were to find like a filter that made something look like a direct video 80s sci-fi yeah. logo. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. That's what it is. It's uh <laughs> Yeah, it does not look great. Apologies to whoever put that one together because it's uh, not not wonderful. Um, when I when I was going to that same comic shop that was the size of a utility closet, there was this little poster for an ElfQuest movie on one of the beams in there. And I remember me and my buddy would always bother the guy behind the counter. It's like, when is this thing coming out? What is it? Where is it? And he was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. He would never tell us because I think I don't think he knew. But uh no. But yeah, I remember, and I don't know if it was the poster for this, but it was probably 1992. So very well might have been the poster for uh, this, uh, this not audio, this uh, motion comic or this video comic book. So I wonder if that's what it were. If, if anyone has seen it or has a copy of it or yes. floating around on YouTube or the streaming services, let us know. We would love know. to see that thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, Richard writes back, he requests, he says that requests for original art, they come in all the time. You know, people want the original pages, people want original sketches, but they can't bear to part with any of it. So nope. same as it ever was. Now, Wendy's artistic influences come from Marvel's Avengers, Johnny Quest, and a lot of illustrations in children's books. I mean, I can really see this. If To mm -hmm. be honest with you, ElfQuest almost reads like on, you know, if you're just looking at it from... A high level. It, it looks like a children's book, and the illustrations yeah. have that vibe too. You know what I mean? I really mm -hmm. like the Johnny Quest analogy. So if you've seen any of the old Johnny Quest comic books and all that type of stuff, it has that charm to it. It has that flavor, that flow. So mm -hmm. you know that that was a real interesting thing. But talk about the other ones. Very very sure. interesting. Um, now, something that was yeah something that was missing from the inspirations here, which kind of surprised me, was was no manga. Because I, I, I mean. Like you can almost see a little bit of like a maybe I'm projecting, but like a Japanese influence on some of this, uh, like Especially some of the faces. With, yeah, the faces, the faces, the eyes, the, eyes, the different things. Yeah. yeah, but that that is not cited here. It's interesting. But we do have cited artists of Rackham, Dulick, Tengren and Pyle. And uh, we'll go through them because uh, you've probably seen some of their work before. Arthur Rackham, he illustrated a ton of children's books around the turn of the century. And I tell you what, um, Google this fella arthur rackham yeah. because his art is fairly phenomenal it is beautiful beautiful stuff i mean rackham has this mid-century almost painting whimsical vibe to it yes. you know what i mean the the cartoons backgrounds are cartoons yes <laughs> it's beautiful but the backgrounds similar to wendy peeny stuff are like excessively detailed oh I mean, to the nth degree it's beautiful yeah like like, I mean, like this, this was months and months and months of work to, to, to just bear out the backgrounds on some of this work. Mm -hmm. Very varied, almost like a period piece look. I really, really dig it. Oh, yeah. And if you look at it, you can definitely see that there's some influence here on uh, on the Peony's work. It's beautiful stuff. Uh, Edmund Dulac. Now, he all, also illustrated a whole bunch in the early 20th century. And another one, another great artist. Yeah, it's just a, he's another like like whimsy artist. I think that's how I'll put it, you know, highly mm. detailed, almost like a Renaissance style. You know, it's it's the type of paintings that you're going to see in a museum. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the lady in the clamshell type of stuff. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. Covering her breasts and her, her lower portions. Absolutely. And again, one of that we can totally see an influence uh, right there. Uh, we've got Gustav Tangren. Now, Tangren himself cited Rackham as an influence on himself. <laughs> and uh, okay. he is most well known as a Disney illustrator. He was the uh, chief illustrator on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And uh, also in a totally like um, 
a, a shock to the system here, a totally different style. He also drew many of the beloved little golden books, hey. including the pokey little puppy. I had that. Look at that. Yeah. I didn't even realize that I had some of this guy's work. Absolutely. Here I was, you know, as a kid exposed to this Tengren art. Didn't mm-hmm. even know it. My God. Didn't even you didn't know how uh, cosmopolitan you were. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Look at me. <laughs> Look how upper upper crust I was at the time, <laughs> meeting the pokey little puppy. Yes. I mean, uh, to me, this is where I personally see, you know, the Peenie's biggest influence. It's a blend of the afore, you know, the aforementioned artists with like, it has a storybook vibe, which is where I see some definite influence in the book for sure. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And then we're going to get into another guy who, yeah. here we go. I, I think this is where the nuts and bolts come together here. Very true. This is Howard Pyle. Now, Howard Pyle was uh, largely responsible for taking, you know, folk stories, right? Folk stories are told over generations and over, uh, you know, centuries and things are added, things are taken away. So there are disparate, I mean, there was there was a crisis on multiple, uh, crisis on infinite Robin Hood Earths, right? There were different stories of Robin Hood. Well, Pyle, he took together several versions of the Robin Hood legend put them together and weave them into a child-friendly take on this character. And he's also a great artist to boot. And uh, I mean, the art here, you could definitely see an influence. So, I mean, uh, you know, props to Richard Peeney for picking these artists that were just like pitch perfect. If you take these artists, melt them down, put them back together, and you basically have ElfQuest. It's uh, really, really cool. now, finally, Richard uh, says that they are working on an ElfQuest movie, which, I mean, we know. Yeah, we, we just touched on that. To me, I don't know if they originally – were they intending on making – like how far did they get in the process here? I know that they cut it off at that little – yeah, know, that animated reel or whatever. But did they actually get into any thought with casting, storyline, anything like that? I wonder – wonder was there any more further thought to it? Maybe that's another thing I'll, I'll see if I can dive into a little bit later. Yeah, because I think like if you were to do like a multimedia ElfQuest package here, you might want to tell a new story, you know, a story that yes. isn't in the books. Absolutely. You know, especially with the, you know, because we talk about how ElfQuest fans are a little bit different than the Marvel comic or DC comic fans, where I think with Marvel and DC, we 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 accept that they take liberties with these characters because, you know, Captain America has almost 100 years of history. How are you going to tell that in a two hour movie? So you have to pick and choose what you're going to use. You might leave some things out. You might gloss over some stuff. You might add exactly. stuff to make things easier. With ElfQuest, I think ElfQuest fans are a little bit more like, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not how it happened. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like that for everything. But I mean, Me I think too. ElfQuest fans are just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think so you, I, I think you're going to puke in a bucket, but I think ElfQuest is built for the the Netflix ten issue. <laughs> 10, ten episode format. Let's 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 be real. It, it I don't think two hours can ever do ElfQuest justice. No, certainly. You know not. what I mean. Certainly so not. this needs to be a continuing saga where you know you you're able to fill in all these detail and have all these issues represented and to do these characters any justice can't be done in two hours. I'm sorry. No, no. It would it would have to be its own story. It would have to be something brand new if you're going to do with just a plain old movie. Bingo. Next up, we got Lee in the UK. Now, Lee is tickled pink at the thought of ElfQuest in Marvel Comics, and he hopes that the big cheeses of Marvel will ensure that epic issues get good distribution in Europe. And uh, while Richard apologizes for the European scarcity of the previous version of ElfQuest and is almost certain that Marvel will be able to overcome those hurdles. So 
I guess we'd have to uh, reach out to uh, one of our friends in the UK to find out if this was the case. Man. So uh, if anyone out there is listening from the UK who was in the field, had the boots on the ground during the uh, the ElfQuest epic days, let us know if you're able to find these issues. We'd, we'd See, really... everybody was reading Judge Dredd over in the UK. There was no <laughs> <reading Dredd's> <laughs> That's I am the law. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Sly. Um, <laughs> now, keeping it across the pond here, we've got Ian in the UK. Now, he is concerned about the art suffering in the epic reprints, and he fears that the color and the shrunken page size will make it harder to notice the finer details of Wendy's work. Okay, this is this is legit. Mm-hmm. So I'm it's... on board with Ian, because this really came true with last issue especially. Because I recall reading, you know, the Ryak, you know, cutter fight <laughs> in the glorious Starblaze editions and just remembering, you know, the vibrancy of the color and the oh, yeah. detail. And it's really, really legitimately lost in translation here. Yeah. So, you know, Ian, you are correct, sir. And uh, I think Marvel did the best they could because, you know, when you're talking about how you're printing to like a newsprint type of page and yeah. the coloring process, I mean, this is basically standard fare for Marvel. Maybe this was better off in a direct market deluxe edition, maybe. It's possible. Yeah, I mean, these Marvel comics are basically ads with stories around them, right? I yes. mean, that's that's kind of the uh, the bread and butter of it. Uh, now, Ian is not a fan of the roll calls and the added pages, and he feels that they're contrived. He is a true purist here. Um, a little ignorant of the fact that for someone who might just be discovering ElfQuest, these pages are the bread and butter. They, they are what helps you get into the story and helps you follow the story. So if you want the fandom to grow, you need to make it. You might need to maybe do a little bit of hand-holding, right? Yes. So uh, I think... In current year, we would call Ian a, a gatekeeper, right? Is that what we would Uh-ho! call him? <clears throat> Big boy, yes. Ian the gatekeeper. Yes, that's that's what we get called for a lot of things. So uh, we will <laughs> we will pass that on to Ian. And uh, check this out. Ian doesn't even want new material. You take that new, beautiful, glorious Wendy Peeney art and stuff it. I don't want it. Oh, guy's oh. a true, true purist. Oh, look at this guy. Well, Ian, what I'll tell you is go and buy yourself, you know, those great big dark horse phone books and all this type of stuff and go suck a lemon. Mm. How about that? <laughs> I no. love it. I, lo- I love every single bit of this stuff, man. Absolutely. Any extra stuff that I'm given, like, it's no trouble. I can go back and I can get the original ElfQuest stuff anytime I want. Mm-hmm. This stuff has extra content that I truly enjoy. So I, sure. I think I think Ian is incorrect in his assertion yes. here. He is. Now, uh, Richard writes back and he says that they're still experimenting with how to make the warp issues fit into the epic framework because you gotta, you gotta, you you can't just go from one to the other here without any sort of context. And he states that there will be between zero and five new pages of content each issue in order to make them read as smoothly as possible for the single issue experience. And I mean, that's playing the ball where it lie. That's, that's playing the cards you're dealt. That's, that's making the. That's, I mean, that's making lemonade. It's great. It's when really you're great. when you're at five pages, just well to redraw the whole book at that point, isn't it? <laughs> that's <laughs> like a cow. quarter of the book. Yep. That's crazy. Wow. Good. Love it. Absolutely. Now our final letter comes to us from Leanne in California. Now this is a funny one. <laughs> Leanne is lost. Everybody. Leanne needs a map. Um, she loves the art, which I mean, duh. And wonders. Okay, now um, I'm going to try to – I I don't want to make fun of this woman, but uh, 
she asks why there aren't any female wolf riders. <clears throat> huh? Huh? <laughs> um, uh, now, Richard writes back, and he's equally confused. He's just as confused as we are, perhaps more so. And he's like, uh, Nightfall, Dewshine, Clearbrook, Rainsong, Moonshine, they're, they're, they're there. Uh, yeah. what, what, what are you saying here? I mean, I, I mean, we've got, uh, like, Red Lance is, like, totally useless, a man, totally useless, <laughs> who's being protected yeah. by, by Nightfall. It's like, uh, they, they, they exist. Leanne, they exist. Oh, yeah, boy. I, 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 I don't get it. I mean, is this the second time someone asked this question? It might be. I mean, do they not consider the women wolf riders? I mean, I think that's the, that's the statement. I mean, do they that's, think that they're yeah. just, you know, not, not front and center, like, you know, like, like the warriors that, that are the wolf riders, you know what I mean? Do they think they're background character or ancillary characters? Maybe that's her, that's her idea. But I mean, this book is solidly inhabited by women and all mm-hmm. of which play key parts. So it's, it's hard yeah. to see where Leanne missed this at all, because I mean, this is heavily populated with the female variety. So I, I know, I don't even know if she's reading this book. <laughs> maybe she's just going cover to cover. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. Man. Yeah. Cause maybe, maybe the women aren't getting too much cover time at this point, but uh, ah, now there you go. You got something yeah. there. So maybe you're, Leanne, I think you're right on the money there. Open the book. <laughs> <laughs> read a few pages. I swear yes. there's women and they Elfquest. are com. It's free. Go read it. <laughs> yes. Um, now that does it for our quests and answers. And, uh, we do have bullpen bulletins here and, uh, this won't be completely elf. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jim shooter, he is the guy who's writing the bullpen bulletins here. And, you know, it's funny over, you know, cheap plug to the essential X lapsed, um, program on this channel. I have, uh, I've been reading the old silver age elf, elf quest, no silver age X-Men X quest. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and I've come to the point where Stan Lee has started the bullpen bulletins page, and it's amazing to read the bullpen bulletins of 1965 because they they kind of kept it um, pretty uniform all throughout the time where they ran uh, bullpen bulletins up until the you know the early 2000s where like it's news items and did you know department and the utter confusion department it's all that stuff was there from the very start. <laughs> So it's really cool to be able to see those early, early bullpen bulletins. And uh, those are all being discussed on uh, the Essential X Labs right now. But here in the 80s, Jim Shooter is our guy, and he's writing all the news that you could use. And he opens by explaining the difference between the corner boxes in current Marvel comics. Uh, now, this is this is one that always kind of baffled me growing up. Because if you if you were a back issue bin person, or if you still are a back issue bin person like we are, well, the corner box is a little different of the oh, yeah. uh, in the mid ages here, right? Um, you look at the corner box and you might just have a rectangle, right? You have a rectangle where it's like, okay, this is issue number six. It was January and seventy five cents. Right. Some of them would have the empty space in that rectangle be shaped like the letter M. So you'd have like a lot of black, you know, cutting out the M. And then inside the M, one of the legs of the M would have the date. One of the legs of the M would have the price. So it'd be stylized. Right. And uh, Big Jim Shooter explains that this all has to do with distribution. You see, the plain old rectangle ones feature a tiny CC. If you look closely, there is a CC there. And that stands for Curtis Circulation. Now, this is a distributor. This is pre-Diamond Monopoly. So... 
Curtis would distribute to newsstands, drugstores, 7-Elevens, places like that. Whereas the M versions, those go to the comic specialty shop, so direct market. Now, here's a, a wonderful thing that Shooter brings up here, because I'm sure he was asked this a lot. We're getting into the speculator market, right? This is the mid-80s. Ninja Turtles is either here or right around the corner. So speculation is about to kick into gear. And all those people want their Judge Dreads. So, I mean, <laughs> speculation is just... All I the, am the law. <laughs> now, Shooter promises the reader here that both versions, so the rectangle, the Curtis circulations, and the M's, they're both valid as first prints, and neither is a reprint of the other here. He does comment that he's not sure which version that collectors will glom onto, nor which ones will market the market will demand to become collectors' items, which I'd never think about that, but I'm sure he was asked that a lot. It's like, well, which one's the valuable one? Which okay. one's real? It's pretty crazy. We had a different experience altogether in Canada. So <laughs> the corner boxes were different. The yeah. UPC boxes in the you know the the bottom left hand corner were different. Mm-hmm. So when you saw this, we would always get the standard rectangle. Okay. Okay. Never the M. So when mm. I used to see the M, I instantly the only way that we would normally get those would be in reprint bags in like like WalMarts and different sure, things sure. back in the day. Okay. So that's when I would see those. So those automatically meant to me that oh these are second printings these are third printings these are you know bundle items okay because that's Mm -hmm. when we would get these they would they would be the bundles we would always get the standard rectangle okay just with the pricing and the regular corner box at the top now the other thing was the barcode in the corner so Mm -hmm. down in the left hand corner in canada we would never get the spider-man head okay okay that was 100 percent an indicator that this was this was no good this was trash. <laughs> this it's is true. Oldie, it's yeah. true. My, my, you know, we would go trading comics and I would see the Spider-Man head. And the first thing that I would do it, I'd crack that baby and I'd start going down through the indicia and the front going, okay, we're second printing. Where's this? Yep. Where's the second printing? Because we would always have the barcode and it never, ever made sense to me because that's how they would define sales in Canada. So, you know, a barcode would be scanned and it would say that, yes, this issue of ElfQuest number six was just purchased at Cabot Pharmacy. Okay. Mm-hmm. How in the hell do you scan your comic book, Chris, in the US? How, how is that done? <laughs> Seriously. How did they what did they just key it in? Oh, one comic book. One uh, 75 cents. Done. 75 cents. Uh, is that that's, how it was done? That's a funny story because uh the direct market was basically like your like your buddy in the shed. You know? Yes. It, there there was a uh, there was a Marvel production uh manager named Carol Kalish. Uh, she, uh, I think she was responsible for getting Peter David into the creative end of comics. And I think Peter David even, even named one of his daughters after her, but, um, Carol Kalish was responsible in kind of shaping up the direct market in that, uh, she would go to comic specialty stores and there would be no cash register. There would be a tin box with money in it. So (laughs) they didn't scan things. They didn't, um, there was no need for a barcode, and a lot of them didn't charge tax. Like the the one that's that I went I was, to. That's what I was just about to yeah. say. So how? Go ahead. No, finish your yeah, story. Yeah, the one the one that I went to that uh, that utility closet. If I bought X Men number thirteen and it was a dollar twenty five, I would put a dollar and a quarter on the counter, and he would take it and give me the comic. There was no no sales tax because <laughs> that's what it was back then. 
IRS, are you listening? <laughs> yes, I owe you 0.8 cents in uh, in comics from 1992. Um, Carol Kalish was the one who kind of uh, whooped the uh, at least on the East Coast the direct market into into some sort of legitimate business shape. Where it's like, okay, well, you know, you you are getting income, you gotta pay taxes, you are making sales, you gotta charge tax, you gotta, you know, you gotta maintain records here, and um, I think a lot of that had to do with like the proliferation of comic sh- comic stop comic shops, like I mentioned earlier at the flea market, you'd have the icy stand and comics, you'd have shoes and comics, people were just selling comics, you know, hey, it wasn't a legit question business. On all that. Hmm. How did they know something was a hot book? How would they know that, say, for example, uh, Spider-Man number 164 sold more than 175? Where would they get the data? Where's the sales history? Well, there were still things like the Comics Journal. Um, there were – it's actually something I started collecting a little while ago. Uh, we've got a comic shop here, and it's it's basically a junk store version of a comic shop. It, it's a glorious, glorious place where he's got like back rooms full of just crap. Like right. stuff that the normal comic fan would not want to look at even once. But like I'll go back there and it's like this is – I'm finding like a, a a retailer magazine from 1986. It's something that just goes to retailers and it's the most boring, dry information for a comic fan. But for someone who's interested in comics history and comic circulation, it's all there. And it will tell you the hot books. It's like I- – this is the book. It's it's basically like comics stocks, but where but Chris, it's like, literally, literally, there was there's there's no legit record. No, no. So None. so so basically, the only way that you would know would be if Word books are returned. Oh, okay. True, so true. you know, I I well the direct gave, market wouldn't have returns. Holy! Oh my God! This is yeah. corruption at its highest. That Holy was the whole God! Point of the direct market. The direct market. No was, taxes. No barcodes. Like yeah. so, they knew in Canada, so they could tell if something was a hit in Canada because everything is point of purchase. Yeah. So that you particular issue. Of, send it back if it doesn't sell, and there you go. Right. And you knew if it went through a register. So a yeah. like, how would a store even understand what inventory it had on hand? How would they know what to send back? What like where is the the registry number or something to even like? Oh my God! This is this is a, an investigation. We need to step in here. <laughs> Corruption. <laughs> Corruption. <laughs> it was a lot of. Uh, I'm guessing it was a lot of word of mouth. It was probably a lot of the, uh, wow. the blue chip magazines. Um, like if you knew that uh, people were going nutty for Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, you might order some extra copies of that. Or, I mean, I think that's why it was so hard to to come by some things. You know, um, like Ninja Turtles, right? Yep. Would would Ninja Turtles have been as phenomenal as it was had it printed as many copies as Spider-Man number 200? Oh, no, no, no. I it's don't know. It's all about scarcity. It's scarcity. all about the scarcity. Yeah. The scarcity, the word of mouth, the people knocking down your door being like, where's Ninja Turtles number one? You know? Well, that was that was an organic one, though. Of so course. When, of when course. you get comics in today, you've got variants that only have, oh. like, you know, intentionally only have 150 printings. Yeah. And good for you if you own one of those 150 printings, but it's not organic. You know what I mean? To me, that's just, okay, so there's 150 mint condition copies of this thing floating around. That's all that's ever been printed. So that's all. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bubble that's going to explode. Like these things, you know, five years on eBay, these things are not going to be worth a nickel. A week on eBay. A week on eBay. Because it's like, if you have um, every single week, if Marvel puts out 
five or six of these one in 125, you know, copies. Well, those are only important that week because next week they're going to do another five. And then the week after that, they're going to do another eight. So it's like these aren't worth the paper they're printed on. And I mean, talking about things like reprints, um, one of the books that is really kind of kind of gotten under my skin is this. uh, There's a Demon's Days book by Peach Momoko in uh, Marvel Comics. It's an X-Men miniseries that has nothing to do with the current day X-Men, but it's a uh, it's like feudal Japan X-Men stuff. And they really want to push this book. So the week that it came out, they announced it was a sellout and it's going to a second print. Then the week the second print came out, that was a sellout too, and they're on to a third print. Then the week that the third print came out, that was a sellout as well, so we're up to a fourth print. Well, I went to the comic shop a couple weeks ago. There were over 80 copies of the first print of that on the shelf. Uh... Yeah, so sellout? No. <laughs> no, they sure didn't. Uh, they are uh, they're pumping foul air into a balloon that is going to uh, – it's going to deep six a lot of comic shops who are – buying these things because marvel or dc are telling them to yeah exactly and it's like that, that's not sustainable it really isn't it's, no this uh, this is um especially like i'm really concerned about today's market because i mean you're hearing about dc comics really taking a lot of hits and different things like that yep. and they're relying on this variant industry big to time. pump sales and big. to encourage you know shops to purchase to purchase bulk yeah. of their books so yeah. you know what i mean uh, comic shops are basically forced to buy a ton of inventory just mm. to get these rare, scarce editions. You know what I yep. mean? And they got to hope a, someone buys them. Right. But it's a play that these these stores can't support. No. You're going to bankrupt Short some term. some areas yeah. or you're going to make them non-competitive because they won't be able to keep up with this variant market. So it is mm. a cancer on the industry that that I'm not playing into. So no, no. they can and have that. And what's more, DC changing their, their shipping day to Tuesday? Oh. That's not helping anybody. No, 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 no. This That's is uh, no, we're buddy. really we're really up on. And I know like there's people out there that would go, oh, no, comics are selling more than they ever have. Well, you know what? No. Go to a comic shop. That, that <laughs> is like, that hey. that is not correct. That is that is not a correct statement. So I, I'm concerned about the industry and where it's headed, because this it's is not true. the uh, this is not the industry we we signed up in. And it's it's in danger. So, it, you know, it, buy some so, comics, folks. Yes. Yeah. Actually, go to a comic shop. Go to a comic shop. Purchase some shelves. Look at those on, shelves. On, not on Try free not comic book day either. No. Yeah. Yeah. Screw, free, screw free comic book day. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? The day this episode comes out, I think yesterday was free comic book day. So uh, screw Ooh. yesterday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, more with Jim Shooter. He announces that there'll be a Marvel presence at an upcoming comic convention in Australia. And if you're wondering, what would you call an Australian comic convention? You would call it the Australian Comic Convention. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's let's everything not, it says not, on the tin. Let's not be cute here. Let's just straight up call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, the guests include Stan Lee, Will Eisner, Jim Steranko, and Franz Conter. And uh, Franz Conter, if you don't know who that is, Jim will help us out here. And he says that Franz Conter is, quote, an Australian comics person, unquote. Oh, yeah, the, the 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 ever popular Franz Cantor. Yeah, the the Australian comics person Franz Cantor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, maybe I've got some of his work. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. Um, now they expect ten thousand Australian attendees. So, Ooh. let's hope they did that. Um, now Jim closes out by promising that they're going to reveal the winners of the Marvel tryout contest next month. 
whoever it is, they got this in the bag. Lee, yeah. <laughs> Get it? Get it? Mark Bagley yeah, we, won that thing. Yes, we know that guy. We know him yeah. from uh, his moratory days and uh, Spider-Man days as well. So I, I love this concept. Such a great idea, yes. man. You talk about a launch pad for the next big artist. Oh, I mean, yeah. we grew up in the day, man, those 90s when we got to see, like, the rock star artist, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, the late 80s really, really basic. You know, you had your John Burns, you had your Art Adams, you know, you had all these guys. And then McFarlane, Liefeld, Lee, all these guys just sure. exploded. And I mean, they were literal rock stars. Big time. But, you know. All I tours with, and everything. Yes. But now they've gotten away from the actual art. And a lot of people, you know, everybody can be a comic book hero now. They can, you know, use their their iPad and, you know, use Procreate to create mm-hmm. their own manga and every suddenly yeah. everybody's an artist so you yeah. know 3d renderings and yeah that's what i mean like are there like the the true artists are few and far between out there right now because you yeah. know with the digital shortcuts that i've investigated recently I mean, yep. it's just like wow this is not a lot of talent to do this you know what yeah. i mean so to me it's the difference between like the classic disney and the pixar stuff bingo like, like you used to see people who would draw, like you could almost see the sweat on the cells because they were drawing, <laughs> you know? And now it's like, hey, I'll just move the mouse. <laughs> and yeah, hey, look, Woody's waving at us now. Great. And sometimes it's automated. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like say, for example, like a, a digital character. If you created mm-hmm. a character on screen, you can make it 3D with a click of a button. It's true. Now all of a sudden it has depth and volume. Now mm-hmm. you can spin it around and see the front and back, mm-hmm. like immediately without even rendering it. Nope. Yeah. That's scary, man. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, the, the rock star artists here, um, I know a lot of us, you know, uh, learned and uh, educated comics fans are uh, we would like poo poo them. But uh, that's uh, <laughs> we we covered um, the rise of uh, Liefeld, Lee uh, McFarlane and uh, Larson on the Cosmic Treadmill years ago. Because uh, we were doing like a, a series where we were talking about like the big four of image, right? So Spawn number one, Savage Dragon number one, Young Blood number one, Wildcats number one. You know the big burst of image, and going through the rise of these creators who uh, I think a lot of us look back on now as like, oh, they had an easy ride, they were right place, right time, and then you realize that they they had quite the road to hoe in getting to where they got. And uh, the stories that they were able to tell before they made it big were were fairly inspirational and uh, and and kind of kind of uh, you wouldn't expect a lot of the stuff they right. had to go through things like rejections and things like uh, having to refine what they do and having to talk to certain people just to get a look a second look. It's, like Todd, Todd McFarlane in particular has, <laughs> has told the story over and over and over that he was turned down a hundred times, even yeah. at the height of his powers with DC, who turned him down on a Batman book. Exactly. So, exactly. So think about that for a second. I mean, that could have been a game changer for DC in general. Of course. But he just goes, nope, no, we're, yeah. we're, we're good. We're good. Yeah. Jim Lee was turned down several times before given like being given a pity project in Alpha Flight. I mean... <laughs> You said pity party, all right. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it was like, <laughs> oh, well, nobody's buying this book. Let's throw this brand new nobody on it. And it's like <laughs> insane. insane. Hot garbage. Hot garbage. <laughs> but that, my friends, is our bullpen bulletins. And now our mighty, mighty Marvel checklist, which is another thing that I'm covering in uh, the Essential X Labs, yeah, which is it's a great. blast. Uh, and I, I love those because Stan Lee, you can tell he hadn't written some of them yet. So it's like... Yeah, guys, uh, Thor is going to fight someone. It's going to be great. 
okay. <laughs> you said that last issue too, Stan. Come on. Tune in next month, Excelsior. <laughs> and Hercules will be guest starring in one of these books, I promise. Oh, okay. Oh, God. Usually yeah. Thor. Usually Thor. <laughs> um, now, our Mighty Marvel checklist for, I believe we're in January of 1986 cover here. Amazing Spider-Man number 272 Ooh, introduces a First major... appearance, first appearance. Yes, yes. Bag and board this one. Get this one CGC slabbed because we're going to meet Slide. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Bailey, what is your favorite Slide story? Oh, listen, I put a lot of thought into that, and <laughs> there was one There was one answer. Okay. I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this, and this is no joke. Uh, Slide was in the Spider-Man animated series. What? So there was not the original ones. It's one of the ones that I believe came in the 90s, maybe into the 2000s, just called Spider-Man. Is that the Spider-Man? Spider-Man. No, not that one. <laughs> okay. The one after that. It was, it was, uh, they had a whole bunch of, no, I think it was 2000s. Okay. Anyway, the episode he appears in is called Road to the Goblin War. Hmm. Now, you want to talk about a character with powers. Just imagine <laughs> being able to control friction and inertia. Then you got slide. You got slide. Yeah, yeah you. I like it. I Garbage like character. It. Garbage character. <laughs> <laughs> now we mentioned this next one, uh, Micronauts number sixteen, because Micronauts not officially part of the Marvel universe, but there's a Secret Wars two tie-in, right? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, they baby. They have crossovers, of course, and I mean, I don't think we're allowed to mention them now, <laughs> but back in the what, day they were there, kind of like Rom. What a good way to segue into the Marvel Universe with Secret Wars 2. <laughs> oh, man, that's asking for cancellation. Absolutely. Uh, we also have the Punisher getting his own limited series. The first yes! right here. Yes, Mike Zek's Game Changer. You talk about rock star artists. To me, Mike Zek was a rock star artist back in the day. I mean, Secret Wars, uh, the Punisher. This started out as a four-issue miniseries and became... A five-issue miniseries. Yes. <laughs> so this was great. Issue five of four. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I, I devoured this book. I mean, I became a hardcore Punisher fan. I couldn't wait. I was collecting his appearances. I managed to grab uh, Spider-Man 129 for his oh, first appearance. Oh. And I, you know, I went back and started collecting this stuff based off of Mike Zek's work. Now, mm -hmm. this was prior to his solo series coming out. And yeah. then I stopped the being a Punisher fan. Yeah, because it exploded. Klaus Jansen. Drawing okay. the Punisher was not what I wanted. After coming from Mike Zek and then going to sure. sketchy Klaus Jansen, refund, please. <laughs> no, uh, this is a book I found. I, I bought like the, uh, oh boy, whatever those, uh, oh, what are they? The, all my books are packed right now, so I can't like just turn around and look at it on the shelf. But uh, those collections they had, though, they're hardcover collections uh, of Marvel Absolutely. comics. Yeah, they're, they're thin, but they, uh, like the top portion of it is like the color of the character, basically. So the Punisher one would be like silver and it would have like the top, it would have the skull. And then the, the, the rest of the spine would be black. I don't remember the name of this type of hardcover, but I did have the, uh, the miniseries in that hardcover form and it was, I, I loved it. And I'm not a Punisher fan, but I love this story. I came across the entire five out of four issue miniseries at a used, not at a used record store. Nice. Uh, for a dollar a piece. And it's like, <laughs> wow, okay. Jackpot. So, yeah, so I, actually, I think the first issue was $2, but the rest of them were a dollar a piece and just grabbed them all. And I don't think I've ever opened them since I've read it, but it's like, it's really, really cool to have it. The, the Punisher to me, 
I came into comics in the 90s where Punisher had like four ongoings, had a magazine, really, really didn't do it for me at all. I think he was way, way overexposed. And it's uh, it was interesting to go back to the mid 80s where he didn't have, you know, he wasn't making appearances three or four times a month. He just had this special story and it was just so great. And uh, doing a little bit more research in the uh, 2000s, like the Punisher never really had a solid character until this story. You're exactly because, you're right on the money because he was like a, um, you know, he was almost like a tweener. He started out as a, you know, just an assassin, basically, yep. in the Amazing Spider-Man. And, uh, you know, he sort of morphed into, well, during that story, he appeared twice, I think. But mm-hmm. he had that shade of gray about him, you know what I mean, where yep. he let Spider-Man go and, you know, he was – you know, he but wasn't like, the bad guy you was you assumed he was, and then Zek took it to a whole new level here. Yeah, because like you had the you had the the shade of gray with Spider Man, then like they'd have him show up in a random issue of either Spider Man or Daredevil, Daredevil, and he would just be shooting litterers, like people who littered. He'd shoot them in the head. It's like what the <laughs> hell is this character? Like he had he was totally just insane. Yeah, and then they, they fixed they, it here. Yeah, they totally totally rehabbed and fixed the character and made it. Uh, Made him a character worth following, at least until the explosion. Um, what else we got here? We got Marvel graphic novel number 20. This is Spider-Man Hookie by Susan yeah. K. Putney and Bernie Wrightson. Got this baby on my New England comics order form. Hey. I mean, you, you talk about getting uh, getting boxes of books in the mail. You know what I mean? Like, mail call! Sure. This was my mail call back in the day, <laughs> buddy. If only if I had Twitter. It's true. This would have been a $5 pickup, but I always love this book, man. The cover alone with Spider-Man just yeah. ensnared in like those uh, alien tentacles. Loved it. This is one that I found at a half price books probably within the past 10 years. And uh, the Marvel graphic novels, I guess they don't really sell so well on the aftermarket, at least if yeah, you're not in like a comic shop. So this was thrown into a box of uh, like laying down flat, a box of like everything in this box, 50 cents. It's like, Okay, so I see this. I see something with a spine, and I am a total mark for spines. I like yep. having, you know, things on my shelf. And I picked up this book and bought it, went home, flipped it open. It was signed by Susan Putney. So oh. it's like, hey, how about that? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know who she is. I couldn't pick her out of a lineup, but she signed the book. So that's a good thing. Now, we do, of course, have our epic spotlight here. Now, epic was moving and shaking here. We've got a Man. lot of books here. I got to tell the fans. Uh, so sure. every week I torture myself by reading a uh, <laughs> one one issue that is featured on this list. And boy, we'll get into that in a second. Go ahead, Chris. Mm-hmm. Now we've got Swords of the Swashbucklers, number four. We got Moonshadow, number five. Grew the Wanderer, 11. The yeah. One, number three. Uh, we've got ElfQuest, number six, which gets a blurb, The Menace of Mad Coil. I got it. Coyote number 15, where uh, Steve Englehart complains about the government. Um, and Time Spirits number seven. But the one that you looked at, my friend, is uh, actually, let me actually check this one out because you'd asked me if I'd read this one. And I told you no, but I might have. I actually might have bought this one. If this is the one I think it is, no, it's not. I read the next one, I think. But uh, this is Epic Illustrated number 33, which features. Are you ready for this, gang? The conclusion of Toad's Wart. Uh, so I hadn't read any of these in such a long time. I completely blanked on on how they how they were. You know, I thought it was always similar to like a heavy metal magazine, and it was. And it was. Yeah, it was magazine of. format and all that type of stuff, right? 
But it features, of course, it features, you know, some offbeat stories by different artists, different fantasy, sci-fi, all kinds of different lore. You know, you get different stories contained in this, like one and done's mostly or some were yeah. continuing, had three to four parts, et cetera, et cetera. But they would always have a Marvel Comics anchor. So some of your favorite heroes and villains would, would appear in this. And this one yeah. had boasted the last Galactus story. This is mm-hmm. one where Galactus goes to an alien world, basically for enlightenment and wants to know what exists beyond the stars. Yes. Now he summons, John Byrne. Yes, it was John Byrne. That's mm-hmm. that's another big thing. You're like, holy crap, John Byrne took his time to do this. It, it was mind-blowing. Anyway, Galactus summons Nova. Now, Nova goes to this large space station at the end of, basically, end of the universe. And this is Frankie like, Ray. This is the yeah. Frankie Ray Nova. Yes, that's correct. The lady, Frankie mm-hmm. Ray. So anyway, Frankie Ray goes into this large spaceship, coiled spaceship, like a series of... I guess loops put together with a like a large spine down the middle, like mm-hmm. really, really space, you know, or, or um, twenty two thousand one type of stuff, you know, sure. I mean, big, yeah, big saucer type deal. Of, yeah. yeah. Anyway, in the middle, on the core of the spaceship is this giant white hole, almost like a black hole or a vortex, and she goes through the middle of it to see what's in the middle, and we're left at a clove as at on a cliffhanger, I should say. Mm-hmm. Now this blurb boasted the conclusion of Toadswort. Mm-hmm. Now, readers may not know what in the heck Toadswort is. So Toadswort <laughs> is a fantasy story about this troll golem-like character uh, and his journey through this kingdom. And it is disturbing to look at, is what I'll tell you. It was this, created by Tim Conrad, who uh, you might not recognize because I think this is about all he did for uh, for Marvel. It's eccentrically high detailed, like, I mean, over the top, highly detailed, very slick paper was very, very nice. But man, this thing was really, really disturbing and gross to look at. Like it's full Mm. of tons of malformed monsters and people and trolls. It was unpleasant. And man, but one thing that that was funny about this, you know, no need to talk about the story of it. Thank goodness they wrapped it up here. (laughs) But I didn't realize that they continued stories halfway. So five pages in, it said to be continued on page 59. And then another story starts. I'm like, what? What Yeah, they're broken up like a legit magazine. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. But I will say, um, you know what? Not the worst thing I read. There's lots (laughs) to read. There's there's like six to seven different stories that are going on in Epic Illustrated. All lavishly illustrated. I mean, some are color, some are black and white. But it is uh, it is a vision to behold. So if you get your hands on some Epic Illustrated, I don't know, like I I think you I'd say pick it up. Really, really yeah, good stuff. If you could find it for a decent price, definitely it's worth yep. just just having to look at and just having it in your collection here. Um, now that last Galactus story is is interesting uh, because uh, spoiler alert, it never ended. <laughs> okay, Marvel, what? Uh, Epic Illustrated ended before John Byrne could end the story. So we never got to see what happened with uh, never got the conclusion. But uh, John Byrne did say what the conclusion was. And uh, I suppose we could probably spoil a, uh, you know, almost 40 year old story at this point. I'm interested. Um, yeah. Galactus goes to the end of the world or the end of the universe, dies. The universe ends. And uh, then Galactus gives birth to a new galaxy. And that's it. A, a new universe. <laughs> no, no, a new galaxy. You <laughs> oh, don't okay. want to cross the streams there. No, no, this is a this is a new galaxy. He just starts it up here, and I think the impression we're supposed to be left with is that this is something that Galactus just does. You know, he dies and is reborn, and the galaxy is reborn with him. 
you know John Byrne. He always likes to leave his uh, thumbprint on things. So maybe this was his way of being like, hey, you know, um, the Marvel Universe should re- be rebooted back to basics. <laughs> Let's go back to the way things used to be. Maybe that's what he was trying to do. But uh, Weird. Epic Illustrated would get canceled before he had the opportunity to do that. Now, uh, that's Epic. What about Star Comics here? We've yeah. got, I mean, th- another one here. I mean, just hitting on all cylinders here. One, two, three, four. Eight books. Eight books a month of this Star stuff. We've got Planet Terry number 10, which is important because Princess Ugly returns in this issue. Um, <laughs> we got Spider-Ham number five versus the Senior Simeons. I'm guessing there's probably a lot of old jokes in there. I don't, I don't know that one. I'm going to have to check that out. I don't remember yeah. the senior Simeons, and I was a uh, Spider-Ham fan. Yeah, I don't know that one. Uh, Wally the Wizard, number 10. Ewoks, number 5. Royal Roy, number 5. Muppet Babies, number 5. Get Along Gang, number 5. And finally, Care Bears, number 2. Okay, I'm bringing up Care Bears, number 2, because I have to see mm-hmm. what this is. Because sure. this is one of the only ones that I don't know. Oh, okay. So it's... Uh... It's, it features the Care Bear Cousins. Oh, that is not going to be good. So there's a witch on a broomstick, and it's uh, giving a green-eyed stare to uh, Party Bear. There you go. Yeah, my green-eyed stare will stop you. Oh, who 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 cares? Yeah, and the one I'm looking at has the M logo. So this has the M logo, and it has Star, the new world, the new world in the Marvel universe where the barcode is supposed to go. Yeah, how about that? Hmm. Who cares? Wow. 65 cents. So uh, I wouldn't have bought I, that. And I bought everything Star Comics, but I think I would have passed on this one. This one's a dime cheaper than ElfQuest. 65 cents only. So buy two. Uh, <laughs> now let's get into some ads here. Now, yes. now you can see here from the image I, I put up on our group, our, on our doc here, that uh, my book is is pretty much worn to crap. It, oh, that's a beautiful these pictures, thing. <laughs> these pictures are all dented. Uh, we've got Starburst. Now, Starburst, this is a BMX sweepstakes here. You could win one of 100 Schwinn Predators or 500 pairs of Harrow BMX gloves here. Hmm. Now, what I like here is that, uh, you know, you talk about going to your local comic shop here and you kind of get familiar with their layout and their uh, their offerings. And then, like, maybe you'll go visit your grandmother and she's a few towns <laughs> over and you'll go to a new comic shop and they'll have all new different stuff, right? It's like, wait, this is, this is like exotic and weird. Well, look at Starburst. Anytime you go to the store, you have the yellow package of Starburst, the original, yes. right? Correct. Well, here they've got two other packs that I don't know that I've ever seen in real life. So we got we, what? Fruit and no, 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 no. we've got the sunshine pack that mm. has grape, red raspberry, pineapple, and wild cherry. And we've got the strawberry pack filled with your favorite flavor of Starburst. So this is the pinks only, I guess. So, I mean, these are things that I don't think I've ever seen before, but it's it's just so cool to see. It's like, you know, the flavor of a Starburst, right? Then oh, you yeah. try to imagine what the what what could a different flavor of Starburst be like? Similar but different, I'm sure. But uh, Well, Starburst is one of those candy that I'm, I'm sort of on the fence with. It starts in your mouth like it almost feels like you're eating wax. Flavored yes. wax. Yeah. Then the, you know, as you get chewing it, it, you know, it, it starts to take shape as a, you know, a tasty candy and you dig mm-hmm. the flavor. And, you know, if you got any dental work, it's probably not the most you're safest done. thing in the world. Yeah, yeah you're, you're finished unless you're sucking on it, which I don't <laughs> recommend. No. But one thing about this ad. So it's a Starburst ad. 
and it's advertising a BMX sweepstakes. So you mm -hmm. could win one of 600 prizes, buy Starburst Star Fruit Chews, and enter the BMX sweepstakes. And you could win one of 100 Schwinn Predator mm -hmm. uh, bicycles, Freeform EX bicycles, or 500 pairs of Harrow BMX gloves. 500 mm -hmm. pairs of gloves. So you... <laughs> Only 100 people won the bike. They must be in bed with Schwinn. They must be. Because, because I'm telling you, it's not the first time in comics history that we've seen Schwinn advertised in mm -hmm. comics. So, I mean, somebody is uh, crossing the streams when it comes to Schwinn. But uh, I wonder, did anyone out there win the bike? We'd like to know. We would like, like to, know. to know. Did you did you win the pony? We'd like to know. Or do you go around like a big tough guy wearing your BMX Harrow gloves to the mall? Because you're a yeah. cool dude. If you go to a uh, a wrestling show in 1995 and you want Diesel to give you the bump, <laughs> that's when you, you wear one at least. <laughs> and all you had to do was clip out this coupon right at the back of your uh, mm -hmm. back of your issue, indicate your glove size, yes, small, medium, sure. and large. And this was from the Mars company. Yeah, Mars I, broker. like how would you know what size glove you'd wear? I mean, that that could be like the 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 worst thing in the world. Say you win the prize. But you didn't measure your hand right. What if you were an extra large person? Oh, this is uh, then this is sizest. Yeah, yes. that's what I'm saying. Like I would literally listen, guys. This is sizest right here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mm -hmm. I would sue the Starburst and boycott the Starbursts. Boycott yes. hashtag boycott Starburst. Okay, <laughs> we're starting it up right now. Oh, we are. This is ridiculous. <laughs> now another food product, kind of. Um, Don't do that, please. <laughs> This is a this is a uh, an ad that I remember fondly from uh, yes. from these comics here. This is an amazing Spider-Man ad where he's trying to find out where Captain Crunch went off to. This is the where's the Captain mystery here. And, uh, you know, listeners of a certain vintage will probably remember the uh, box of Captain Crunch back in this era where you saw the outline of the good captain. But there was a big question mark over it because he is missing. And uh, they offer a one million dollar reward. Oh, this is a crock of shit. There's <laughs> no way that they were ever giving away one million dollars. One million dollars. Oh, well, you had to share it. So we shared yes, it. You got to share it. Thousand winners. Yes. Yes. So you'd get what? Ten grand, I guess. No, if it's a million dollars, it's ten. Oh, ten thousand. Yeah, oh yeah. 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 You're, yeah. yeah. I thought it was 10 winners, but it's 10,000 winners. Holy cow. Yeah, so Spider-Man's going around looking for the captain here. He, you know, he could use a million bucks or a share of it because Aunt May's probably having a heart attack tomorrow. So you need something to help yeah, pay so for her medical costs. And the devil ain't around to make a deal with just yet. So, this uh, is a two-page splash. Yeah, it's the center. It's the, uh, the center fold of the comic. You so basically Spider-Man knows that Captain Crunch is missing, goes to the Daily Bugle, Jane, J. Jonah Jameson hands him the copy of the Daily Bugle, which, mm -hmm. you know, he works at. So safe to say he should have seen this. Yeah. It says, <laughs> Captain Cap'n disappears. One million dollar reward. Sources say he's in one of four places. And those places are Crunch Island, Milky Way, Center of the Earth or Atlantis. So, so we Spidey know where he might be, but nobody's yeah. gone to look for him. Right. So Spidey, of course, goes in pursuit and he mm. goes out to the docks. Where he sees a message in a bottle. No, he takes a message in a bottle and throws mm. it in the water. Or does he pick one up? No, he retrieves one with he his weapon. He retrieves it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And on it is just a bunch of code. 
Oh, a bonus clue for, for mm -hmm. our readers. Yeah, so, so we, we, you uh, can put solve this, this using yeah. yeah, use the detective kit found inside specially marked boxes of Cap'n Crunch. Mm. Oh boy, I gotta I gotta look that up here. Is there a, a Cap'n Crunch a detective set? Gotcha. And anyway, the whole thing is where's Cap'n Crunch? To help Spidey find him, look for the special boxes of Cap'n Crunch cereal. Use the detective kit inside the box to figure out if Captain's crunchy if Captain's on Crunchy Island, in the Milky Way, at the center of the Earth, or in Atlantis. If you discover where the captain is, you could be one of 10,000 winners to share $1 million. No purchase necessary. You didn't even have to buy Captain Crunch at this time to Let's join. Let's see here. I'm on eBay right now looking at a vintage Quaker Captain Crunch 1985 Detective Squad Squad Serial Prize Toy Sealed, $13. Yeah. Buy it now. And uh, I'm looking at the back of it here. It says, where's the captain? Find him, and you could win a $100 share of a million dollars to help find him. So they changed it, I guess. <laughs> Look for three different clues on three different boxes of Cap'n Crunch cereal. Use your Cap'n Crunch detective kit to solve each clue, get them all, and you should know where the Cap'n is. Look for bonus clues on TV, radio, Sunday comics. Use your detective kit to solve these, too. Fill in your entry card from from your detective kit with a guess and mail it out before December 13th, 1985. On Saturday morning, December 14th, 1985, watch for a Cap'n Crunch TV adventure special revealing the answer to where's the Cap'n. I got a mm. question. Wasn't this comic published in 86? Well, it had an 86 cover date. So yeah, it probably what, what came out um, probably came, January. Oh, so okay, it probably okay. came out like in September, October. But uh, now put your detective kit together. The picture inside the kit shows you how. Then find the clue number below that matches the clue number on your box of cereal. Carefully follow the directions beneath that clue number, and you're on your way to finding out where's the captain. If you get stuck, be sure to ask for help. I don't know. Um, we'll find it out for next episode. Yeah, if anybody knows, if anybody still has that $100, um, <laughs> please let us know. And uh, I mean, we have a, our our bonus clue here is uh, I mean, it's very very easy. It's a eight seventeen fifteen one fourteen eleven twenty one eighteen nine twenty six eight twenty fifteen fourteen forty. Oh, I'm sorry, ten one ten two twenty one seven five six ten five. So holy hole uh, in a donut, Batman. It's so easy. It is. It is. It certainly is, and uh, it's a I hope... sparrow with a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a catastrophe in Catmandu. Three mittens are missing. <laughs> um, now, sticking with Spider-Man, no pun intended, we have another Boy, ad for him here. He was pimping some stuff here. He sure was. Not only a sugary cereal that'll cut the roof of your mouth, but rubbery plasticky cheese. Mm, he has a yeah, Dorman's cheese. He's got a special offer for you. You can get a Spider-Man backpack. Now, Spider-Man on a durable red 100% nylon backpack with reflective tape so you can uh, be safe at night. And it actually says that. It's a $10 value, yours only, three bucks, and six UPC symbols from the packages of delicious, uh, we need an asterisk after that, Dorman's American symbols. <laughs> There's now, no guarantees of, uh, of, uh, of deliciosity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the pre-wrapped American singles... Not not my favorite cheese. No, no, definitely not. 
No, I mean, I'm like, I don't know how much cheese is actually in them. Because yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of it is uh, is like yellow tempera paint, right? <laughs> You're right. That's just well, laid out to harden. They they did a whole um, they did a whole thing like an expose on mm-hmm. on cheese slices back in the day, and I mean it was found that there was almost negligible, you know, edible material in those things. Now they've since <laughs> you know they, they they've since changed their ways. You know, it was the McDonald's you know pink slime thing that 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 forced yeah. the industry to change. But hmm. but either way, listen with six, and I mean think about, I mean you're talking three dollars times six. So you're $18 in now at this point with just these proof of purchases. Then you had to mail an additional $3 to get your backpack. Or you can only buy two packs of dormant cheese and spend $4.95. So to be honest with you, you're paying much more than the $10 value for this uh, oh, backpack. Yeah. And it doesn't look to be the highest of quality. <laughs> like even on no. the even on the image, it looks like something that is like wafer thin. Yeah, like you would probably try to draw this thing looking a little bit better than it than it looks here, but uh, at least they got the reflective tape on there. Yeah, what is that? What is that about? Yeah, so if you're out with your Spider-Man backpack at night, you're you're you you make a nice target, I guess. I don't know. I, I do like it. Like I would I would enjoy one, but you know I I'm, it's suspect. I think it would take exactly mm-hmm. one issue of uh, Epic Illustrated in the back thing of that, and that thing would tear, or the oh the, yeah, the snaps would come undone. Yeah, don't go don't go out in the rain either. Like this, this thing is <laughs> no. this thing is falling apart like a suede shoe. It's uh, not good. <laughs> yes, sir. Now our our next and final ad here, and this is uh and this is a sort of ad that we see a lot where like random things are trying to sell you like a real like cheesy watch. You know, we've seen like every single candy tries to sell you a watch. Um, a, uh, a breakfast cereal tries to sell you a watch. It's very, very crazy stuff here, but we're going to break into the big time here. This is a, uh, candy ad, Charleston Chew, Sugar Babies and Sugar Daddies. Um, and you could buy these and get a big time digital watch, a $5 value for just $2 and 50 cents. So first of all, you're getting a $5 watch. Okay. There's no way that that particular watch is worth $5. (laughs) <laughs> you can forget it even back in the day when digital watches were becoming a thing look at me i've got a digital watch it, absolutely not this yeah. thing looked like it would break on command you wouldn't get this around your wrist and that's no, this is it is uh u-g-l-y ugly has no alibi and it's great how in the picture here we see one and it's a black watch and the other two are gold so were they, were they really giving out gold watches Oh, actually, no, no, no. They're they're not black and gold. They're blue and yellow. How how shady is this offer? This feels like you're 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 better off buying it from the guy out on the parking lot with the trench coat that opens it up and he's wearing no underwear. Going, hey kid, <laughs> you want to buy a watch? And then he opens and flashes you, and you're you're, yep. you're scarred for life. You're scarred for not life. Not that it's ever you happened. You can tell the time. You can tell the time. <laughs> Would you oh. like to buy a VCR too? Psst. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, that is a, and not only is it a watch, it's a five function digital watch. Yes. So we don't know what those functions are. I guess we can uh, let our imaginations run amok. But, the uh, only advantage to this ad that I see is that it features Charleston Chew. Yes. Chris, have you had a Charleston Chew? I sure have. You like them? Um, I like them when they're not stale, which is to say about 5% of the time. Right. So avoid the gas station, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay. Now, do you know the secret way to eat a Charleston chew successfully? If I were to guess, I would say you throw it in the freezer. Yes. Yes, these sir. These things trans. So these. So back in the day, there was actually a strawberry Charleston chew. Yes. I don't yeah, know strawberry, vanilla, was. and chocolate. Yeah. Correct. Right. Do they still have those here? Because the only thing that I can get right now is just the vanilla. The just vanilla. The yeah, let me, let me try, okay. Let me check it out here. I'll, I'll I'll do that as you tell your story. All right. So the proper way, if you're eating at Charleston Chew, I can't talk about sugar daddies because we didn't get sugar babies, I should say. We mm-hmm. didn't get many of those, no, nor the sugar daddy. But we did have them. I did try them, you know, caramel gold, you know, a little bit crunchier than they should be. Okay. But the Charleston mm-hmm. Chew was epic. You put this thing in the freezer. You freeze it for however long if this thing hardens. And it becomes a melt-in-your-mouth treat. I mean, this yes. thing, you break off a wedge, put it in your mouth. You can eat it. You can eat it, crunch it up. It tastes delicious. But if you let this thing melt, it is absolute Glorious. heaven mm-hmm. in a candy bar. Even better if you had the strawberry one. Trust me on this. Strawberry Charleston Chew Frozen is heaven in your mouth. And they still do have all three flavors. Oh, hell yes. yeah. So we're just being ripped off in Canada as usual. Yeah, I, I Shame figure, on you, Charleston. Because I know the only ones I see around are the uh, vanillas too, so maybe you'd have yeah. to actually go to like a candy store to to find the uh, the strawberry ones, like I had to do to get uh, to get uh, my M&M Smarties uh, last year. The trip. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that is ElfQuest number six, cover to cover. That's all of it. The bullpen, the letters, the ads, and uh, of course, I think we read a story as well. So that is everything. Uh, Do we have any final thoughts before we go into the plugs? So, man, listen, I'm telling you right now, ElfQuest, this this issue number six, go out of your way to read this one. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is one of my favorite issues. Uh, The entire backstory, you know, you're given some very, very important information that really, really adds depth to the main character of Cutter. So go out of your way to read this one. You get all the back history with Bear Claw. You see a bunch of red shirts get killed. You're introduced mm-hmm. to Mad Coil. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Highly, highly recommended. The extra pages are absolutely glorious in this one. So super, super win. Absolutely. But uh, that will do it for us for today. You want to let the folks know where they can find you on the Intrigue Net. You can uh, hook me up over on the Twitter and you can argue with me futilelessly uh, <laughs> in, in your wimpy attempts to tell me that uh, Alpha Flight is a good comic and that Transformers are, are less than tran- are less than uh, GoBots. So uh, you know what? <laughs> That's what I'll tell you. Hook me up at Charlton underscore hero over on the Twitter. Uh, you can find me over here shooting the breeze. With Christopher, of course, over here on Quester Days as well. And we can't wait to dip into episode or issue number seven because Mm -hmm. a whole lot more info coming. And we'll have some more answers next time of uh, some of the questions we posed about the movie, about the original art, all kinds of stuff. More coming. So uh, listen. And as well, don't forget, over on Facebook, be sure to jump on the old old ElfQuest actual, like, legit official page over there. Yeah, the official group. There's a lot of action going on there. Lots of answers to questions that, uh, you know, we're digging into ourselves. So mm-hmm. lots of good ElfQuest content still out there. And, of course, the audio movie is coming. So ElfQuest City, baby, in 2021. You got that right. And, yeah, we'll be asking some questions over in the uh, group here and hopefully sharing some answers here as well. Uh, just, you know, taking the uh, the temperature of the fandom. It's, uh, it's always fun to do that. As you can tell, we love the letters pages. We love getting into the, the minds of the fans here. So... Hey, we might have some questions about when, you know, they say it's the most trite question to ask a comic fan. You know, when did you start reading comics? But 
it's one of the more uh, interesting to, to folks like us. So, hey, maybe we'll ask when folks discovered ElfQuest. How did they discover ElfQuest? Maybe we'll share some of those stories here with you all as we continue our way through. And we actually have a whole bunch of questions we want to ask. So uh, look forward to that. I know we are. Uh, we just love the discussion, love the engagement. So uh, look forward to that in the coming episodes. But uh, you can find me here basically i'm uh, i'm on this channel <laughs> you can find uh you can find me on twitter at least for now at ace comics you can shoot me an email or shoot us an email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com you can even leave us a voicemail at uh, this is the x lapsed hotline but it's a hey it's an all-encompassing hotline it's 623-396-JERK uh, you could find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com you'll find all the information for this episode there as well and if you're already listening, you know all about chrisandreggie.podbean.com and where you can find it. Uh, but hey, if you like what you hear, spread the word. Let people know. Maybe leave a nice review because uh, we need nice reviews. We don't get those very often. But I think that'll do it for today. We want to thank you all so much for letting us reside in your ears for a couple of hours today. And until next time, as always, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya! Take me back to the day Yeah, when I was still your golden boy Back before you went away